0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply.
1: Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, a couple things to talk to you about. First, give a rating and review on iTunes, and we can enter you into the Listener League It's a little over halfway full right now. I'm going to get get it set up this week, get people signed up to lock it in. We're going to have 12 to 15 15 teams, Roto League, uh, the normal setup for the most part. Maybe go OBP over average. Still working on all the details there, but uh, lots of good uh, input already. Give a rating review on iTunes send me proof that you, you made a rating review and we will get you in the listener league. It's going to be a ton of fun. The guys that are already in it are really pumped on it. So it should be a blast in that respect. And if we get more than 15, I'll do a second league. That simple. So uh, come do that and then go check out the fantasy black book. Awesome way to get ready for your fantasy baseball draft season. Myself and eight other of the best in the industry previewed position by position, relative position value, gave you NFBC previews, prospects, so much more. Joe P. P. is 10th year doing the Fantasy Baseball Black Book. Go check it out. Amazon, iTunes, got the Kindle version, all kinds of good stuff. Really affordable, awesome content. Go check out the Fantasy Black Book. But for now, hope everybody enjoys it. The Fantasy Baseball Shortstop Preview on Bubba and the Backflip. Edition 21 on Bench with Bubba, episode 239. back, everybody, to another edition of Bub and the Bat Flip, edition 21, your fantasy baseball shortstop preview. It's going to be a fun one. we got 10, 11 players for NFPC ADP from January 1st to talk about for online drafts because the big boys are starting to show up. Um, and then we got all kinds of other good stuff plus great amounts of listener questions. As always, you can find me on Twitter at BDEntrick and the Bat Flip portion of the podcast. You can find them on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Toby, how we doing, my friend? I am doing fantastic, Bubba. As usual,
2: Monday nights are um, one of my favorite nights of the of the week. I love it. It's, it's fantastic to uh, to join you once again. And our podcast is in in episodes. It's old enough to buy alcohol now.
1: <laughs> That's a, it's so funny because I was, you know, I do my corny dad jokes like you like to do as well. And I, as i I was updating the outline. If I changed twenty to twenty one. I was like, oh man. We're going to have so many jokes tonight. It's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, I'm appalled that you'd say I make corny dad jokes. Bye bye. Yes. I was just more hinting at how we both make the same jokes. <laughs> and we have the same sense of humor. Like how long did we laugh about Big Meat Pete the bowler right? Oh so, man, big, it's, big it's, Meat it's t- it's taking Twitter by storm as well.
2: It is, yes. Big Big Meat Pete. We are missing the emoji for big. Somebody yes. come up with that. I'm not sure exactly. Maybe a giant or something like that. But, <laughs> uh, you know, some meat, a, a snowflake, and a, and a bear. That's not even a polar bear. We'll have to do for, for right now for Big Meat Pete the polar
1: bear. Yeah, we're going to have to figure something out. Like, you know, if they can do hashtag LGM gets a Mets logo, can we have like hashtag Big Meat Pete the polar bear and like have this cool little emoji pop out? I'm all for it. Let's do something crazy. Oh, man. If uh,
2: anybody knows anybody at Twitter, hit us up. (laughs) We'd really like to figure this out. This is important.
1: It's the important things on the podcast. Yes, we'll get to your shortstops in a minute, but we have some important things to talk about. But, (laughs) um, yeah, let's do the shortstops because this is a fun one. Like I honestly think if if we – like Paul and Justin are crazy enough to do, I think, 40 guys. They're doing two two two-hour podcasts on shortstop because it is so deep. Um. I would talk to you about 40 shortstops, but I think we're going to cover probably 25 or so here, which is going to be a lot to get people jump-started on this. Um, like I mentioned in the beginning, we usually go over the top 10 in FBC ADP. We had an 11 because we've already talked about Glaber um, Torres. And this go-round, we changed up the ADP. We're going to start it from January 1st, and we're doing online drafts now, not draft champions. So this is drafts that involve fab. This is the ones that – I really love to focus on. I know Toby likes to, and others in the, in the industry, because this is kind of more the formats most of us are drafting for for the whole season. This is what it's all about. And it, it, you know, draft champions you might take our uh, you might take a few different luxuries to kind of gambles on things to, to, for guys. This is more your team, and you're going to go to battle with them because Fabs the only way you're helping yourself because there's no trades. So um, there's been 11 online drafts completed since January 1st. Hopefully by next week there'll be even more. We can change the dates around, but for now we started off with Francisco Lindor. He's going at ADP of nine. First shortstop off the board, very close to one. Trey Turner, who we'll talk about next. But I thought it was funny, Toby, because Trey Turner. It felt like until maybe a week or so ago was the top shortstop off the board. There's been a lot of helium on Lindor. Different podcasts I've listened to lately. He is a popular, popular man. And he goes number one. So what's your thoughts on Francisco Lindor?
2: Yeah. So as I've been doing in previous podcasts, I'll just kind of give a uh, valuation for uh, Lindor, the player, the projection, and then kind of what his ADP says in terms of what, you know, what that value of that pick might be. So for Lindor, we're looking at a $31.57 uh, player. So essentially $31, $32 player. The steamer projection is nice. I mean, two eighty-nine. 112 runs, 35 homers, 95 RBI, 22 stolen bases. Um, at an ADP of nine, it's about a thirty dollar pick. So normally we talk about the fact that in the first few rounds, you know, or first couple rounds, especially in the first round, it's really hard for folks to return value just because they cost so much, um, you know, from a from a pick perspective. But Lindor is returning about a dollar and fifty cent, according to um, his steamer projection, where his ADP is going, I think you can't really go wrong if you're going to draw, draw uh, draft. You know, uh, uh, on offense, if you're going to draft a hitter in the first round. Uh, Lindor, especially where he's going, I mean, towards the back half of the second round with this, with you know the consistent production he's gotten. I mean, he missed a few weeks to start the season last year, and he still put up uh, an incredible season, there's really nothing not to love, I think, in Francisco Lindor. And so, you know, he's a great way to start off your team. I think there's, you know, you can't really pick at anything. He's just a,
1: an incredible player. Yeah, there's a lot to like here. I just looked pulled up my rankings that I updated like a week ago and he I have him number one at shortstop as well. For some reason I thought I had Trey the whole time, but I made the switch the more I've looked as well. Uh thirty-two or more home runs in three straight seasons. If you combine RBIs and runs, he combines for 180 to 200 every year, which is outstanding. Uh, he's got 22 or more steals the last two years, 19 or more, in three of the last four. So he's giving you everything you're looking for in all the categories. And he's not a batting average liability, 270 to 280-ish hitter or so, which is going to be very, very nice. Like you mentioned, he missed time last year. Prior to that, 158 games or more in three straight seasons. So the durability is pretty solid as well. Doesn't strike out a lot. 15% K rate last year was his highest rate since 2015. So he's a very, very disciplined uh, hitter at the plate. You look at his ISOs and his WOBAs and all that stuff, he's a very, very powerful, very, very skilled uh, shortstop, which is which is really, really good to get with the early pick. Like you said, he's only 26 years old, so he could still be coming into his own, which is really scary. Um, switch hitter, remember, for DFS purposes, he hit lefties very, very well compared to uh, most people just think Lindor because he's in the platoon You're he's going to be left-handed more often than not. So you don't really think about the other side of it, but he crushes lefties uh, quite a bit. So you don't have to worry about that kind of stuff, missing time for that. And then other than that, you know, you just look at every stat for it. like he, I, we really don't have to go too deep into Francisco Lindor. He's a super talented player, deserves to be number one. He's a great pick. There's, there's a few really, really good first round, late first round, early second round shortstops. Like we're going to get into some listener questions that are very good about strategy on the position because it is so deep. But if you are taking shortstops early, there's a, like three guys that I really, really like that get you all five categories, Lindor being the top one there. And I, I think you can't go wrong if you want to grab him in, in late in the first round, like you were saying.
2: Yeah, the, the one thing I'd add to it is I think last year I was a little skeptical of Lindor just because he had the 25 stolen bases, which were a career high by six. And the fact that he put up another 20 stolen base season in about 100, less, 100 fewer uh, plate appearances, I think that really, uh, really bodes well for the stolen bases moving forward. The one thing I'd say is the 289 average that Steamer gives him, he hit 284 last year. The two mm-hmm. seasons before that are 277 and 273. I do think the average might be slightly higher because there was a real shift in his um, fly ball rate, which is not going to help out um, uh, you know, his Babbitt necessarily. Like Ever since he shifted to a higher fly ball approach, the batting average has been lower. He was 301 and 313 in the two previous years. So I'm not sure that he's going to hit that 289 mark. ATC has him at 285. I think that's closer. But I think he'll be in that like 275 to 285, uh, you know, spot. And I, and I think that's totally fine.
1: Yeah, just hit me around 270. The, the projections overall are pretty solid there. And uh, yeah, yeah, I just pulled up his five ball rate actually dropped a little last year. Like you said, the year he's hit over 300 it spiked from 16 to 17 by like 12%. That's, that's quite a lofty jump and fly ball rate. But his pull rate last year jumped almost 5%. So that could explain having that same power in so many fewer at-bats, like you were saying. Uh, really good to see there with Lindor. Projections look great. Um, and you have to imagine also that Indians' team didn't really start playing well offensively till halfway through the season or so. So he, he did a lot of damage either when there was no supporting cast or when it was, everyone was clicking at the same time. So a very productive season for Lindor. No reason we can't expect it with hopefully a, a rejuvenated Jose Ramirez. You have uh, Carlos Santana still there in company. Should be pretty strong. Uh, let's go to the second shortstop off the board. He's going to pick 10, like literally one pick after Francisco Lindor. And that is the, uh, the pre- previously mentioned Trey Turner, a guy that I'm a huge fan of. I have no problem taking him. Right after Lindor, I can understand an argument taking him before Lindor if you really want to. I think he's super, super talented. What do you have on Trey Turner? Yeah, so Trey
2: Turner is uh, my highest valued shortstop, uh, about thirty-two dollars and forty cents, so thirty-two, thirty-three dollar player, just about a dollar more than Lindor. So really, you know, when folks are that close, it's just kind of which, what do you want? Do you want a little bit more power? Uh, maybe a little bit more counting stats with Lindor, or do you want to go for the speed with Turner? The steamer projection is 290 with 103 runs, 22 home runs, 75 RBI, 39 stolen bases. Um, It's about a $30 pick. So he's getting you 2 dollars 5 worth of value um, with that steamer uh, projection right there. I think uh, Turner's great. Um, If I were drafting in the in the first round, I would probably go Lindor over Turner, Um, just from like a safety perspective. I just think that um, you know the more balanced approach from Lindor is something, and just the more consistent production is is definitely something that I um, I like a lot. But I think with with Turner, I mean, what I like about Turner is that he hasn't had to have full seasons to really. Uh, produce you know if you look at his 2017 and his 2019 season he only needed you know 447 plate appearances and then 569 plate appearances uh, to give you a really good contribution to your to your bottom line and with those stolen bases being so high you know if he is injured and you replace him with a replacement level type guy and you add that to his existing projection he's still a really valuable player and so I think that is really nice um with Turner right there uh, the batting average um, you know, is, is really solid at 290. He did lose content. His contact rate uh, fell a little bit from 2018, but it's similar to what it's been throughout his career, but his hard hit rate did take a little bit of a jump last year uh, up to about league average, which could bode, bode well. He's still a young guy too. He's 26. So maybe there's a little bit more pop uh, in that bat. You know, the the key, I think, with him is I think a lot of people are worried that he's moving to potentially the three spot in the lineup there, and they're worried about what that might mean for his stolen bases. I'm not too concerned about that with Turner, uh, primarily because, you know, his speed is elite, right? In in every every way you look at it, his speed is uh, one of his biggest attributes. It is his biggest attribute. The ability to, st- t- to take a walk or to hit a single and turn that into a double maybe even a triple um, on the bases, is something that's critical. And I think uh, Davey Martinez knows that. And so I don't think he's going to take that away from him, even though he is uh, behind uh, Juan Soto. Uh, I just think that Turner, with his skill set, you make him run. And I think Jeff Zimmerman also, uh, I saw an article, and I believe he indicated that his research showed that within a season, guys moving from you know one spot in the lineup to the number three spot in the lineup actually doesn't negatively impact stolen bases that much um, and that he actually thought that the increase in RBI that he would get from batting third versus first would more than make up uh, for that gap and so I think it's a little bit of a give and take but um, you know I think uh, you know I think I think Turner is a guy who uh, all around very solid player and I'm not too concerned about that move how about you are you concerned at all about him moving to the three spot
1: no, I was going to reference that Zimmerman article as well. It, it was something along the lines of he should only lose like two to three stolen bases just because his steals skills, I guess, is so elite. It's not like he's just a, a guy that only gets like 20 steals up front and it would, it would hurt him. Say say we project him, you know, they're almost giving him 40 steals on these projections. If he gets you 35 still, that's going to be outstanding because the he runs and especially the RBIs will go up, as Zimmerman said. And I still believe that there's more power in this bat. I think he's got like 25-plus power potential. We've seen like the hard hit rates and all that stuff go up, and it's just going to be one of those years where he still has like a 45 – he's got a 47, almost 48% ground ball rate last year, 21.5% fly ball rate. If one of these years he just like flips 5% from ground ball to fly ball, he can start really, really making some damage happen at the dish. He's got sneaky power like when you watch him play – you don't expect it to come, and then he gets to walk off grand slams and other things. I think he's super good and, and super young, and there's still more to develop because, he you know, 122 games last year. He had 19 homers, stole 35 backs, as you said, and his batting average is very, very good. I think that's one of the spots where he thrives over Lindor is – I think he can, he can consistently have a higher average than Lindor. Lindor might have the consistent power. He, he will have the consistent power over him. Um, but runs, RBIs, and stolen bases, those could all be similar. I think stolen bases – You give Trey Turner the nod. So it's kind of one of those things when you're doing your research, do you want that steals like 35 plus steal upside with Trey Turner where Lindor, you're thinking 25 and you go get power elsewhere. Or do you want that 30 plus home runs from Lindor with 20 plus steals and a slightly lower average, just kind of depends on how you want to approach your team build as you do your research. Uh, And then the players you like in your player pool, I still have Lindor at first, like you do, but I like Trey a lot. Uh, when I first started doing research in November, I had Trey one. Trey and Boo it's Boo. really close. What was that? Trey Boo Boo. Yes, yeah, Trey Boo Boo. It's like 1A one, oh, no, a- that's, one. Your Mancini. that's your Mancini. That's my Mancini. Would, that's my Mancini. Yeah, he, he's the big, powerful Trey Boo Boo. This is more like Trey Run Run. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm a big Trey fan. So it's real close. I, like, I, I get not wanting him to go to the third spot in the order but Zimmerman, Zimmerman's much smarter than I am, and he made much more compelling points, and he did a lot more research than I did, and it made a lot of sense the way he, like, the the management over there isn't going to say, hey, Trey, because you're hitting third now and you get on first base, don't run. Like, they're going to let him go crazy. There's no uh, there's no Rendon there anymore. Obviously, Harper's another year removed, so they're going to need to produce runs a little differently unless you're relying on, you know, Eric Thames and Starlin Castro and all these guys to hit bombs all the time. So Trey's going to have to get himself in scoring position. And I'm good with him batting third and not worrying about it. And as the second source of off the board, I think it's pretty darn solid.
2: Yeah, and he also has an over 80% success rate in the big leagues in stolen bases. So he's just an incredible stolen base guy. You know, you've convinced me, Bubba. I actually i am going gonna, gonna to switch. I'm going to switch. I would take Trey Turner after all of our discussions over mm-hmm. Lindor. And one of the reasons, too, is I totally forgot that he was playing last year with a broken finger. Yeah, he, I'm just, I'm, he tried He, he tried to like bunt and took a bunt
1: off his hand, yeah. That's yeah. why, like, think about 19 homers in 122 games, and he came back from a broken finger. Like, if he plays a whole season without messing his hand up, he probably hits 25 to 30 homers.
2: Totally. All right, I'm on board with Trey Turner. I'm taking him number one. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Behind Garrett Cole. Behind Garrett
2: Cole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's my <laughs> first hitter off the board. No, um, no,
1: but I, I, I actually – I'm changing my mind. I'm going to put Turner above Lindor now that I think about it. You've convinced. Okay. It's it, it's really close. Like it's it just depends on how you like your player build, but if you're a guy that wants steals early, and I think he does have a lot of power ups that if I had this talk with a lot of people, is they see this guy that they think is just is like kind of bean pole that runs fast, but he's like sneaky strong. He really is. And uh I I wouldn't be shocked if one of these years there's a reason they've discussed moving him to third. Let's just think about that. Mm-hmm. All right, the third shortstop off the board, and this is a fun one. Depends on what angle you want to take with it, and I love the price. I can't wait. I'm guessing because he doesn't steal much. That's why your steamer projection price is down. But Alex Bregman, third-base shortstop eligible. He's going about pick 11 now. He was going in a little higher before, but now in these online, maybe. We, we have seen, and I think we discussed it last week briefly, um, since – the incidents and the accusations and the results and all that stuff with the, the trash cans. Uh, Bregman's fallen out of the first round in some of these online drafts. Actually, he's gone as low as fourteen. It was uh, I think it was Correa, and then we've gone much deeper. But fourteen for Bregman was much lower than normal. So, what do you think about Alex Bregman going into twenty twenty?
2: Well, you know, after some thoughtful consideration and considering the scandal, I think that Bregman is true talent level. I think he's like a two forty hitter. So I'm going to go with 240 with like 60 <laughs> runs, 60 RBI, maybe 15 home runs, and maybe he'll steal a little bit more because that whole lineup is going to be atrocious. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Bregman was much better on the road than he was at home. Exactly. He's, that's that's the he's, that's he's the best argument. An incredible hitter. I mean, he's an incredible hitter. But the, I will say, you know, with the valuation, he's a he's about a $22 player with his steamer projection, which is 287, 106 runs. 32 home runs, 103 RBI, four, five stolen bases. Uh, about, but it's about a thirty dollar pick at ADP eleven. So you're losing about seven and a half dollars on Bregman. Bregman here, and I think it's exactly what you said, right? It's the stolen bases. When you look at, um, you know, the overall profile, he's been incredibly consistent with, you know, um, the, the counting stats. Like the runs are going to be huge. He's an OBP monster. Like if you're in an OBP league, he's Um, An absolute joy to own. You know, the batting average has been solid for three consecutive years. Like, not great, but solid, just like Lindor. But it's really the stolen bases that I think that makes the huge difference. I mean, 34 projected fewer than Turner, uh, 17 fewer projected than Lindor. And I think for that reason, I'm really staying away from Bregman, even if he does fall a little bit more. It's not that I think he's going to be a bad player. Or I think he's going to you know, suck because of the scandal and he's not getting buzzed every time there's like a you know, changeup or a curveball or whatever it is. But his, his walk rate was actually higher on the road as well than it was um, at home. I mean, he just absolutely um, destroyed. Uh, I think it's just more of the stolen bases and the foundation, right? You're making a choice at this point with some of the other guys that are probably left on the board. Like if I have to pick between Bregman and Story, I'm going to go Story every time. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to go Turner and Lindor over Bregman every single time because of what that foundation does. I feel much more comfortable, you know, chasing down the counting stats like runs and RBI and home runs uh, than I do chasing down batting average and stolen bases. And Bregman gives you some some batting average. I don't think it's going to be elite because he's another really high fly ball rate guy. And I could see the home run totals coming down a little bit. I think not as much as maybe Steamer does, but like 35 home runs, something like that. Um, you know, because he does pull so many fly balls and he does that very consistently that I, I don't think he needs to barrel up to hit home runs. So, um, you know, so all in all, Bregman is a very solid pick. He's kind of like an uh, Nolan Arenado um, in the sense that he's like very solid across, uh, across the board, generally speaking. Like, I think he's going to be really good. But I won't own him just because the way I'm building my teams, I want to prioritize speed,
1: um, at least in roto leagues. How about you? Yeah, you, you nailed a lot of it. It's one of those things. Maybe at the third base position, I would feel differently. Like, and I, I've had this conversation with multi-position guys. So obviously, you have to draft him here if you want him, and you can put him at third base, and you go shortstop later, which is doable because there's so many shortstops. But for the purpose of the shortstop podcast that we're doing. It's tough to take Bregman right here because I agree I'd rather have Story over Bregman in this scenario because Bregman's going to crush it for you in four categories. Like you said, average, homers, runs, RBIs, they're all going to be great, but no stolen bases. Like if he slips at all on average, that means the run-ins and the RBIs are going to slip. Say so he goes back to mid-30s home runs and he doesn't steal bags. Well, now you got Francisco Lindor, which you could have taken earlier, or Trevor Story after him. Like the thing that separates these guys is that bagging average, which gets the other counting stats up so high. Um, He is an OBP monster. Like you said, I took him in barf last year. I think in the third round, pretty sure I won't get that luxury this year. I'll have to go early on him, and I don't know if I'll do it. Um, So when attacking the shortstop position, again, we're going to talk about this more later at this position. I would most likely be going Lindor Turner or Story in this top spot or i just probably wait a little later for the shortstop position, and I'll probably be passing on Bregman. I think the talent is legit, like you said, Um, just a great pure hitter. uh, Like the Wobas and and, uh, hard hit rates doesn't strike out at all. Everything about him is great, and it's really weird. Like his barrel rate even dropped last year. His hard hit rate dropped 2% last year. But he just pulls the ball so well. He's super efficient. That ballpark caters to pulled home runs with the Crawford boxes. Like you said, people like to point to that, but he was better on the road. And so you can't you can't take away' how good of a hitter he was he's just very very good at pulling it down the line got like a forty three percent pull rate uh thirty percent fly balls is elite uh very good player but i won't be taking him at shortstop now if you want to talk about third base and you got a contingency plan maybe he falls to like fifteen and you go bregman story okay you you just made a really interesting uh situation there because you see a lot of guys going the door turner or story and then coming back with like you know, and uh, JD Martinez. Well, in reality, Alex Bregman might be better or the same as JD. They're very, very close. So now you're playing a different game, but uh, that goes into a whole third base versus outfield scarcity thing, so on and so forth for another podcast. But uh, for me, at the shortstop position, no Alex Bregman for me, most likely.
2: Yeah, and that Houston, All right. li- yeah. Houston lineup is just. I mean, I was just thinking about it. Like, you still got Springer, Altuve, Bregman. Alvarez. Jordan. Yeah. Brantley and um and Yuli, Maybe starting, Kyle Sucker. Start starting that off. Yeah. I mean it's just it's an incredible
1: lineup and he's gonna do his thing. Yeah, that's the way I look at it. like because you look at over a hundred runs, over a hundred RBIs year after year, that that's hard to find. That's really hard to find. So as long as the average stays up, that'll be there, and then he becomes kind of a game changer. Like you said, an Aeronado type, a JD Martinez type that um, if for some reason he keeps falling to the back end of the draft, that becomes very, very interesting. All right, let's go to the fourth shortstop off the board we were just talking about. him, Trevor Story, Colorado Rockies. He's going about pick 11, uh, 11 to 12-ish, right behind Alex Bregman, barely separated by a point or around a pick, I mean. But uh, I was always a, a Trevor, not a fan, but he's starting to put some consistency together. That makes me at least have to acknowledge this two years in a row. What's your thoughts on Trevor Story?
2: You weren't believing Trevor's story, huh?
1: No, I thought it was a fable.
2: I, ooh, that was good. That was good. <laughs> Love it. Um, all right. Uh, story, $28 player. Uh, based on his Steamer projection, 279 batting average, 98 runs, 36 home runs, 101 RBI, 20 stolen bases. So another 30-20 guy, uh, just like Lindor. Um, ADP of 11 as well. So about the same ADP as Bregman. Uh, About a $29, $30 guy, so he's losing you $1.50. The one thing I'll say about the projection that I don't that I don't really believe, I do think the batting average is a little low for Story. If you look at his last two seasons, he's been over 290 uh in his last 1300 plate appearances. And so the 279 seems a bit low for me. So I think the $28, the $28 value is 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 solid right there, but I do think that there's room for upside on that for him to get you know, above $30 with that batting average creeping over two ninety. Uh story is a guy. I mean, I really like, I mean, there's not really a weakness in his game. He's a great defender, which doesn't really matter for fantasy purposes, but it's nice. Uh, he's super fast. Um, he hits for a ton of power. He plays in cores. It looks like he's going to sign a long-term deal um, with the Rockies potentially. And so I think, you know, story is, is a great pick. Um, I have, I have him in one draft where he fell to the fifth, to pick 15 um for me and so i went um story and then a starting pitcher there at the turn i think starting off at your team with trevor story just like with turner or lindor i don't think you can really go wrong there i think he's been we have got two years of very consistent performance from him that show improved skills like contact skills and um and so he's the whole package
1: i i love him as a as a guy to as a building block to start your team with as well yeah, not 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 a lot to add there. He's a, he's a great building block. I know it's, it sounds boring. Is these guys at top are really really good at getting drafted in the first round for a reason. So, um, Trevor Story, power, speed, thirty homers, twenty plus steals, back to back seasons. No reason he really can't do that again this year. It's just always early on in his career is a matter of health. But we've seen one hundred and forty five or more games in three straight years. So I can't really use that narrative anymore. He's seen you know after two thousand seventeen is. He dropped his strikeout rate by almost 10%, which has been tremendous in the uptick in the rest of his game. His batting average went from 240 to 290. We saw 294 last year. Um, There's a lot to love about him. Cooler's field never sucks. That's always a good thing. It'll be interesting if Arenado gets traded, how that affects him, you know, with protection in the lineup. But you can't really worry about that right now because that's just a lot of talk for now. Uh, I think he does get traded, but we shall see. But for, yeah, for Story, pure power hitter with the speed – I look for guys a twenty twenty upside. Obviously, you want more than that in the first rounds. And Trevor Story gives you that, so it's why it's the argument. Like you have Lindor, you have Turner, you have Story. If you can get one of those three in the first round or late se- or early second round on the turn or something, I think that's a great way to attack the shortstop position. And uh, I know I keep saying it, but we will get to like more of a discussion on strategy a- as we go on. But those three guys are, are great building blocks. Um, Toby. If you had the chance and i know this isn't what you would do because you go pitching early would you try to double dip two of those guys early
2: um you know i would probably just draft two two starting pitchers i think yeah
1: but i'm saying what if you (laughs) i'm I'm saying what if you i'm saying what if you weren't the starting (laughs) pitcher um
2: yeah i mean if i were gonna if i were gonna double dip at that point in the draft i mean one 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 scenario that I really love from a hitting perspective, if you're going to attack hitting early and take a little bit of a pass on pitching is a story uh, Jose Ramirez combo. I think that's an incredible way to start like that. If I could start with any two combination of hitters, I think that might be it. I mean, like that are reasonably going to fall to you just because I think, um, you know, after J Ram, there's a little bit of a lull in speed, you know, so like you've seen me take Starling Marte way up there. As a result, I think having – I mean, like having like a Starling Marte and one of the top guys is great, but you're going outfield, outfield. The fact that you can kind of address, you know, uh, two infield positions there with with those power, speed, batting average, counting stats, everything. I kind of love that that start. But if I were able to go like Trey Turner, Trevor Story, I would certainly, uh, you know, start that way uh, for sure. Because I think, especially with those – those, uh, not Bregman, but like, I think with Lador, Turner and story, if I have an opportunity to get two of those guys, I just think they've been such cons- consistent performers, you know, over the last yeah, two to three years in terms of like the value that they're returning to you that, um, you know, I just feel really comfortable having those two guys, uh, starting it out. And then you have so much speed. You're not giving up power or batting average at all. I just think it sets you up really nicely. And then, the, then the, the thing is just how do you address uh, pitching and the fact that you're not going to have one of those top end guys, but you know, that's a, yeah. that's for a different, different show.
1: Yeah. And I love the Jose Ramirez call. I was getting that in some early box back in like December uh, where I had the back end of the draft. I was getting Trey Turner and Jose Ramirez and I was the happiest man of life. Like I was loving everything about those starts and same with story. Ramirez would be just as dandy. So I think that's a good, good guy to pair him up with because he'd lock down so many home runs and steals and, solid average so you could take gambles with with bats and other things throughout the draft so definitely a fun way to go about it uh the fifth shortstop off the board is a very polarizing one right now he's uh there's there's a lot of love and there's starting to be a little whisper of maybe some dislike i'm not gonna call it hate dislike out there with fernando tatis jr he's going about pick 14 off the board anywhere between 13 and 17 so kind of in that little window right there people love him there's a lot to love power speed youth fun everything about fantasy Fernando Tatis Jr. has. What do you see when you look at uh, his values and everything?
2: Yeah, I mean, it may sound a little bit controversial, I guess, but I actually think he's a fairly safe pick. And what I mean by that is just, you know, the things, you know, the fact that he can provide power and speed, um, I don't think people necessarily doubt that. I think the major thing that they're doubting is the batting average. And so I think that at least will return some value. But I have him as about a $23 player. Steamer projection is at 265, 93 runs, 31 home runs, 82 RBI, and 23 stolen bases. You know, it's about a $29 pick. So you're losing about $6 on the pick. But again, like I think the fact that he, um, you know, that he's going to provide you with that 23 stolen base speed and the 30 home runs just provides a really solid floor um you know the batting average could get pretty low but he's a fast guy you know and i think if you look at the projections steamer has him at 265 atc has him at 273 you know with a 345 babip and a 326 babip so i think he's going to be a higher than than average you know guy when it comes to babip and i wouldn't be surprised if he was higher than that 326 or even maybe that 345 just given you know how explosive he is as a player um So I don't know. I I think he's not necessarily the guy that I would draft here, but I could see a situation where Jose Ramirez is gone. You know, I've gotten a starting pitcher and I want to get a, um, you know, I want to get a speed, a speed guy. And I might, I might go for the upside on him in like the second round, something like that. So I probably won't go up to his, where his ADP is at 14. I think he's going to move up. I think what you're going to see as drafts approach is like Bregman's going to fall back a little bit. Arenado is obviously already falling back a little bit, I think, because of all the rumors about him getting traded. Um, and I just think like the, that speed is going to be a major thing that people are looking at. And so guys like Jose Ramirez and Tatis Jr. are going to get moved up. I mean, the fact that his ADP is already 14 before, you know, we've seen any spectacular plays in spring training or the hype begins to build, I think, you know, the price is going to go up. And, you know, I I don't necessarily think it's it's – it's a price that I would want to pay, I guess the way is that I would frame it. but I don't think it's a terrible I don't think it's a terrible pick here because I think the skill set is incredibly explosive. I mean 8.1% barrels per plate appearance. Um, he's pretty fast. Um, and more important, I think than being like pretty fast is the fact that he, you know like had the green light last year and uh, stole a ton of bases. I mean 16 for uh, 22 is decent, you know. Um, and so I think he's going to continue to get that. That's the player he is, you know, the injury concern might be a little bit higher because he, you know, just goes all out, but I think overall it's going to be a benefit. And I think the power is legit. Um, I think, I think there's a lot, you know, there's a lot, a lot to like here. So I guess my take is that it's not that controversial to get Tatis Jr. here, given the skill set that we're seeing 30, 20 guys are, I think there's probably like, I don't know how many there are I should know off the top of my head, but there's very few guys that are going to get you that, and I think that's a really solid four to start from.
1: And yeah, There's at least two ahead of them, Story and Lindor, so that, that's two for sure. I can tell you that many. Um, but I like Tatis. I think he's really, really good. The back injury I shouldn't worry too much about. Those always do concern me. I'll be totally honest with you there. That, that doesn't make me feel all warm and fuzzy. But uh, the hard-hit skills, the power, the speed – are legit. Like we've seen that throughout, throughout his time in the minors. It, there's a lot to like there, uh, a lot of swing and miss though, like a, almost 30% K rate last year. We saw in the minors a lot of 28, 30% K rates towards the, in the minors as well. So that's something to keep an eye on. We, you know, looking Roto wire actually has uh hard hit rates for the miners from 19 and 18. So in 2018 in A, he only, to, he, his hard hit rate was 34%. He uh, last year in the bigs, he upped it to 44%. So if he's more the 44% guy, it's good. If he's more the 34% guy makes things a little more interesting. But at the same time, there's also double A that did not have the bouncy ball and he had the bouncy ball last year. So lots of different ways to look at it. Like You said the skill set is very, very good. Uh, There's a lot to like there, but I I have a feeling he's going to be kind of an aggressive uh, approach to the plate, even though he didn't really chase the ball a ton, which was good to see. Um, It was actually below average. His chase contact rate, at least his chase rate was pretty similar. So we're going to have to get some more info on him, like as an overall player, I'd say. But the power set, the speed, it's going to be very, very good. You're just taking a hit and batting average compared to those other guys we talked about. That's probably why he's going after them for one. Um, I think I'm going to end up passing on Fernando Tatis Jr. and going somewhere else at that point in the draft. But I don't blame anybody if they do it. That's uh, Like you said, it's not really that controversial. I just, I just have a weird. This is one of those kind of gut things. I just don't feel it with Tatis like I do with some other guys this year, especially in the shortstop position. Like I'd rather gamble on like a Xander Bogarts mm-hmm. than a Fernando Tatis Junior. Stuff like that a lot later in the draft. So that's yeah, where I stand if, on
2: what, him. The one other metric I'd add to Tatis Junior. Is you know he's got a one fifteen point nine max exit velo, which is elite as well. So I think you know the the. The skill set of being able to hit the ball really hard is one that he possesses and one that he might even be able to um, improve on because I know he was very inconsistent uh, on Rates and Barrels uh, podcast. Uh, Eno and uh, Derek Van Riper did a really nice segment just about how he hits the ball super hard in the air and super softly on the ground. You can see his launch angle is only 6.9% average launch angle because it seems like he's got a lot on either end of the spectrum. So I do think there's a lot of improvement that can happen um there and so um you know we'll see it's just a it's an exciting skill set i'm glad and and i hope that he's uh
1: healthy all season long so we can see what he can do yeah i guess i guess he's more of like a um overall prize pool play because i guess ceiling could be very very high and you could see a ceiling match like a Lindora that wouldn't shock me but the floor could get ugly at the same time so i think I think for me like, I know you said he's he's pretty safe, which I, I don't disagree with either, but for me, I, if I was going to draft him, I'd probably be drafting him in an overall format than just a regular. That's at least in my my situation. All right, six short stuff off the board. We talked about him last week on the second base pod. Glaber Torres picked thirty three off the board. I'm not a Glaber fan. I believe you weren't a Glaber fan. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? uh nope, uh, just
2: a reminder from my show. you know he's about a seventeen dollar player. His ADP of 33 is going is about a $21, $22 cost. And so he's losing you about $4 worth of value. I think the big thing is the fact that the batting average and the stolen bases are the two weakest categories. And that's really what you want to be loading up on. And I think that people are starting to recognize that as well. I think when we last looked, um, you know, it was draft champions versus the online, but I think he was going around pick 29 on his ADP the last time we looked, and now he's already at 33 here when we're looking at the online. So I think he's a guy who's going to fall back um, a little bit. So not that I dislike him that much. I think, you know, he's a strong player, but I just think in the two categories that I'm really looking to bolster early in drafts, he
1: that's where he's weakest. It's kind of scary. as If he keeps falling back, he's going to start falling into second-base lovability, and that's going to be scary just because that second-base position is so bad. But um, mm. his... His his approach to the plate scares me a lot. So we talked about that last week. Uh, seventh shortstop off the board, thirty fourth overall, Alberto Mondesi. This is where it gets fun because him, you got VR coming up to uh, to speed demons with some offensive upside. So you had the steals up top with the guys we talked about. You get a little bit of a break. Now you got the steals and not as much power. What's your thoughts on Alberto Mondesi at pick thirty four?
2: Yeah, I mean, Mondesi actually is the guy who's who, at shortstop who's generating the most value based on his projection. His projection is about a $29 projection, 253 uh, batting average, 82 runs, 20 home runs, 76 RBI, and 604, or 649, 649 plate appearances, but 49 stolen bases. So at the ADP of 34, it's about a $21 pick. So he's getting you $8 worth of value. And so I think the key is really do you, do you believe the projection that he's going to get 650 plate appearances? Because I think if you do, if you believe that he is going to be healthy this year, then I think he's an easy pick at this point in the draft. I mean, I think the, story, the speed is going to be there. He's going to steal a crap ton of bases uh, per plate appearance. He's going to have the most stolen bases per plate appearance of any player in baseball. I don't think there's much doubt about that. I think the question is whether he's going to be healthy with that shoulder and what that means for his power. And what that means for whether he's going to have some stints on the IL or not, um, and so I just think that 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 this is the biggest, this is the most volatile pick. Like compared to Tatis Jr., I don't even think it's close. Like Mondesi could literally have like 200 plate appearances and a, sol- a shoulder subloc subluxation, sub-location, whatever it is. Like from everything I've read, is is a is an injury that is prone to it's more likely once it's already happened to you. He actually had it happen twice, I think last year. Um, and with the way that he plays, just diving into bases, it's just a big, um, concern, um, for me about like whether he is going to be able to, um, play. And so I want to see him in spring training before I'm investing in him too frequently. Um, But, you know, again, the upside is huge from a team construction standpoint, the fact that he's giving you all those stolen bases, and he's also giving you a little bit of power. I mean, yeah, he wasn't great from a power perspective last year with only nine home runs and 443 plate appearances, but he did hit 14 um, in less than 300 plate appearances with a very high barrel rate back in 2018. So I'm not sure whether it was the injuries that slowed him down a little bit, whether it was just a little bit of of regression. I mean, I think it probably was, but, you know, ATC even has him at 16 and 543 plate appearances. So about that 20, you know, home run pace as well. And, you know, that combined with the stolen bases without really hurting you in batting average, even if he gets that 249, you know, career batting average, that is going to be incredibly valuable, um, at this spot. And so I think that's really the, um, you know the key is 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 how healthy he is um i'm right now i am in the midst of calculating so let's say he only let's say he only had 400 plate appearances based on his steamer projection his pace would be 253 with 51 runs 12 home runs 47 rbi and 30 stolen bases that's a 400 still plate 30 appearance <laughs> still 30 steals and so the question is So, you know, let's say he gets those 400 plate appearances and you layer on top of that 200 plus plate appearances of utter mediocrity shortstop, still a pretty damn good player, you know, like you're still looking at a guy who's going to give you, you know, 70 runs, 20 home runs, 70 RBI, and maybe 35 or 40 stolen bases, which is really, really good. So... I don't know. Maybe I'm convincing myself to take him or not, but I think a lot will depend (laughs) on spring training. I think the challenge too is like, like you mentioned in overall competitions, like people are going to take the risk. And if he looks good in spring training, he looks healthy. He hits a couple home runs in spring training. I think people are going to, he's going to be back, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. in the second round pretty firmly because I think guys are going to be targeting speed over some of the power bats that are going there. um, You know, in in the, in the middle of the second round.
1: I agree. I think, think His ceiling, people think he really does have some pretty solid power. Like, he's only 24 years old. He'll be 25 in July. Um, People think he can be a 25 home run guy. And if he can do that with 45 stolen bases, like, wow, he should be in the first round. Like, that's how crazy it is. But it's the risk, like you're saying. The injuries, shoulder injuries are no joke, especially when it comes to power. Uh, The fact it can come come back, like you were saying, is a real threat to the situation. But you look at him – you know, last year still still wasn't a great year, but in 102 games, stole 43 freaking stolen bases. Like, in reality, ATC, like you said, 125 games, 543 plate appearances, but 16 homers and 48 steals. And it's something I don't think gets talked about enough, or maybe it's starting to get talked about more so I notice it more. Like, I started saying it last year with pitching, when we're worried about innings, I said, you know, give me 150 Strasburg innings and I'll replace it with something else afterwards, and that's a pretty darn good pitcher. Like you just said about is if I get these, you know, 543 plate appearances and he still gets me 48 stolen bases or you did the, you know, 400 uh, plate appearances down to 30 something stolen bases. And then I replace it with, say, I go to Freddie Galvis off the waiver wire or something like that. That is a really good overall player, like really, really good. So that's kind of the way I think people need to start going into it. It, is it risky? Yes. Is it potentially going to suck because maybe he doesn't get hurt and he has placed through it, and you have to keep plugging him in, praying? Yes, that's going to suck. But that's the risk you take when you take a guy like Mondesi, who has a really, really good ceiling. It's probably more volatile than Fernando Tatis. That's a good point. Like he, his ceiling and his floor are pretty extreme in both directions. Um, lots to like with Mondesi, and I agree. If we see a, a hot start out of spring, that draft price is going to balloon. He'll probably. He'll be ahead of Torres for sure, and he might be like just middle of second round type player, and can could be scary at the value there. So, I like uh, Alberto quite a bit. Like right now, pick thirty four is early third round. He's going anywhere from pick twenty four to forty six. So sometimes he's creeping into the beginning of the fourth round, which should I'd be hard pressed to pass that up. That'd be very difficult to pass up. A guy like yourself that takes two pictures early, I'm pretty sure you like see at pick forty six. Just a hunch. I'd take it. Yeah, I'm just saying. Like that's I don't whoever got that pick, kudos because I don't think many people will get that luxury. But uh, yeah, Alberto, big big fan. Like I've had him in the past. I have him in a dynasty leagues to this day. I have not. People have wanted him. I will not get rid of him because what steals can do. We talked about getting you know those thirty homer twenty steal guys. I uh, getting as many 20-20 upside guys as I can. Mondesi is one of those. And you know after the next guy we talk about stolen bases, there's still going to be some at the shortstop, but that. Big power, speed, ability at shortstop starts to slowly fall away here, and modesty is a big one for you because we talked about it at second base. You want to try to get a lot of your steals from the middle infield. This is like that's why I taken these guys early. That's why I asked the question: Would you double dip with Story and somebody else? Because that's where you can get a boatload of steals out the ba- the gate. And if you got a guy that's got forty plus stolen base upside, pretty darn good.
2: Yeah, so here's the stat on Mondesi's power. And this is actually, I find this super fascinating. So Mondesi last year, despite the really poor power numbers, he had a 5.4% barrel rate, which is below league average. So it's not that great. But if you look at some of the guys, he had more barrels than Ozzy Albies, more barrels than Ozzy Albies, who hit 24 home runs, more barrels than Eduardo Escobar, who had over 30 home runs, More barrels than Eric Thames, Nick Senzel, Ryan Zimmerman, Shinsu Chu, Andrew Benintendi. Slightly less than Corey Seager. These are the guys that are around him. Corey Seager, Tommy Pham, Reese Hoskins, Trevor Story. Manny Machado is 5.6% compared to Mondesi's 5.4%. He only had only 37.5% of his barrels went for home runs. And if I remember correctly... Um, from Max Fries's work, it's about, I think, like 53% of barrels are home runs. So there yes. was definitely a little bit of lack of luck slash Kaufman Stadium involved there. And so mm-hmm. I just think that gives you a glimpse of what's possible from a power-speed combination. So I'm convincing myself to draft Adalberto Mondesi right
1: now. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a good pick. I think you can't really – it's risky, of course, but a lot of picks are risky. It's just the, the nature of the beast these days. Um, eighth shortstop off the board, second base shortstop eligible. I didn't even—I forgot we talked about him already. Forgot he's eligible. Um, he's going about pick thirty-five right after Mondesi, which makes sense because people are like sitting there probably going, "Okay, Mondesi, follow me." Oh crap, somebody took Mondesi. I need VR now. Um, Johnny VR. Anything else you want to talk about with him because he's basically to me like Mondesi light. Yeah.
2: Um. No, not really. I mean, he's about an eighteen-dollar player going at a. About a twenty-one dollar cost, so he's leaving you three, four, four dollars, um, you know, in cost. We talked about him extensively on the second base pod, so if people are interested, they can go back and listen to that. I'm not a fan just because I think there's a lot of things that can go wrong. Again, I wasn't a fan last year and I missed out on him, so take take that for for what it's worth. But uh, this year, I will not be uh, I will not be owning anything any Jonathan VR unless he falls very deeply in drafts.
1: Yeah, it's tough. Like I was in a. Uh debate a conversation on twitter this morning quit like Chris Towers of CBS um, and some other guys got involved in that and it was kind of trying uh, Mike Gianella and others that we're trying to figure out is the value proper for VR and there's like Modica got in, in there we were, we were just going back and forth on scenarios of how he'd become valuable how he wouldn't be and it's really a tough argument it's, it's tough to justify it the whole way but we like you said We talked about it last episode. Go check it out there, Second Base Podcast. Any further questions, hit us up on Twitter. We'll help you there because he's going to be a conversation, I think, all draft season. Um, Ninth shortstop off the board, going to pick 41. This is one of the, like, if you missed out on the top A, it's a pretty solid landing spot to me. I wish he stole more bases. I don't think he's ever going to steal more bases. If he ever stole, like, 10-plus, that'd be a huge bonus at this pick. But uh, Xander Bogarts, ninth off the board. What do you got on him?
2: Yeah, um, Bogarts. it's interesting to me because even after that incredible season Bogart's had, he's fallen all the way back to pretty much where he was going in drafts last year. Um, he's a $17, 18 player, $17.56 to be exact. Um, steamer projection is 292 with 92 runs, 25 home runs, 96 RBI and six stolen bases at an ADP of 41. That's about a $21 pick. So he's losing three to $4. Um, Right there for folks. So, um, you know, uh, I think the thing with Bogarts and the reason why he's probably falling is, like you mentioned, it's the lack of speed um, and lack of a really, um, you know, a truly elite skill, I guess you would say. The batting average at 309 last year was great. Uh, that's terrific, but, you know, it's the first time he's hit 300 since 2015. The strikeout rate is about the same. Babip is uh, slightly elevated, he hit a few more home runs. You know, so that probably accounts for a little bit of, bit of it. Um, the counting stats were tremendous, but only four stolen bases. 15 two years ago, eight last year, four this year. Those have really been in decline. Now, one concern that I would have about Bogarts a little bit is if, um, if, uh, if, if Mookie um, is moved. Um, if Mookie is traded to, you know, it's rumored, like the rumors are starting to pick up a little bit about the Padres and potentially the Dodgers. Obviously, it depends on who comes back for him. But if Mookie were to move, that's a lot of OBP that's off the bases for him to drive in later on. So it's not that he's a bad pick. I think he's totally solid. All the skills are really, really strong Um, for Bogarts. I just think that, you know, depending on where you are uh, in your, like, he's the kind of guy, like, if I get a high stolen base guy, you know, early on, and then maybe I get a starting pitcher, he's my second bat. Something like that just to solidify batting average a little bit. Um, but you know, I just think it's the profile for me that I'm that I'm oftentimes not dra- uh, uh, drafting him in this particular case. But again, I think he's a overall very solid guy, and I think he'll get about what you what you put in. I just think the upside may not be as high as, as some other guys.
1: Yeah, you, you you nailed it there. For me, it's I, I like Bogarts a lot because of that stolen base stability, because of the power upside he brings. I'm kind of surprised that he's dropped already, but I guess it just shows the depth of the position and people taking so much pitching early just kind of uh, dictates that only so many people can go before him. Uh, I, I still think he's he's a great asset. I think he's got 300 uh, at batting average upside, 30-plus homers, like I said. Doesn't strike out a ton. His hard hit rates, his barrel rates are all very, very good for the shortstop position. Um, he should have fun in that lineup. Bets might be gone, but there's still a lot to like. Uh, in Boston, obviously losing bets would stink, but still having JD and company there will be okay. They will survive in that lineup. So I I agree with the point you made though. I'd rather have some steals on my roster before I go and take a a Xander. But at the same time, if you have targets else, like a lot of my answers come back to how did you prep properly? Like if you're, if you're taking Xander and you still feel comfortable on steals, but you know, you have Ramon Laureano on the turn, or you have Tommy Pham coming up, or there's a slew of other guys you could have, you know, penciled in as options. I think that helps out tremendously. You just need to pray you hit them. That's right there.
2: Yeah. I, I think the, the team construction where I could kind of see it happening just because there is so many shortstops that you're drafting, you know, at that point in the draft, you know, and getting him as your second shortstop. I don't know if the profile is one that I would necessarily want. And I know it's ridiculous to say like, limited upside when he was a top 15 hitter last year. So I kind of retract that statement a little bit, but I think it's kind of the best case scenario that we saw last year. Um, And then Mm -hmm. I would say um, uh, like a scenario I can see is if you draft Jose Ramirez at like 15 or 14, and then you draft like a pitcher like Scherzer, and then it's come back around, you know, you draft a Bogarts, you know, solid batting average, uh, really nice counting stats, some power from an infield position. Um, you know, you have, uh, you have Jose Ramirez, you know, in the first round to give you a little bit of speed, you've already got that ACE that you really want. Something like that is where I can see him happening. I just never seem to get him because, you know, I've either gone ACE ACE to start off with, and then I'm really looking for, you know, speed, uh, at that point in time, or JT Real Muto, if I'm honest. Um, and then, um, (laughs) uh, and then, you know, if you've already drafted a shortstop, it's not necessarily like I'm looking like I believe in him so much that I'm going to draft him as my middle infielder that early in the draft. It just kind of limits flexibility, I think, a little bit in team construction. And so um, that's why I don't think I've had him yet. But he's obviously a very solid player.
1: Yeah, he's very solid. And going right behind him at at shortstop number 10 is a guy that maybe, if you're looking for the the stolen bases, Mm -hmm. you take Javi Baez over Xander Bogart. He's going five picks later, pick 45. A lot of similar overall stats, you know. Maybe a little less average, but not much. Maybe the same or or a little bit more in the power department, but he gets you the stolen bases. Very similar players, but I think you you trade off in one spot, but you might gain in a a harder-to-find spot, if that makes sense. Um, Javi Baez is always a guy that really frustrates me when you're looking at the overall approach to the plate and everything. But even last year in a shortened season, played very, very well. And it's getting harder and harder. I've, I've admitted it many times on this podcast in the last few years that I've been wrong on Javi. So, sadly, if I buy into him this year, probably stay away because that means the other shoe's about to drop. But um, what do you got on Javi Baez, the 10th shortstop off the board?
2: Yeah, I love Javi Baez, where he's going right now. I mean, I just think he Wasn't is, he, like,
1: a first or second rounder last year? Like, maybe yeah, like first?
2: he was. I think he was. I think uh, two years ago, like, or actually. Yeah, no, you're I got, right. I'm, last I'm pulling, year, it. Was, I'm pulling was, it up right now. He was a one-two turn guy. I think last yeah, year I got
1: I I saved the NFPC for March uh March's drafts last year. He was pick sixteen off the board.
2: Yeah. So pick sixteen off the board. He was injured a little bit, you know, bumped and down. But when you look at him, so he's got a twenty-one dollar projection. Um Steamer has him at two seventy-three, eighty-four runs, thirty-two home runs, hundred RBI, fourteen stolen bases. ADP of 45 is like about a $20 player. So you're only gaining $1, but it's early on in drafts. And I think the projection for his batting average is a little low as well. If you look at his last two full seasons, so close to 1200 plate appearances, he's hit 290 and 281 in those two full seasons. His batting average projection is at 273. So again, like factoring in maybe a little bit of uh, of, of regression there, but you know, he is a striker of the ball. He's 20. He just turned 27. He's still a young guy. Uh, there's no real reason that he can't replicate what he did in 2018 with the ball not being that great. You know, if he put up the same, the steals was really the big difference, right? In 2018, he stole 21. He stole 11 this year. But if you can get that 14, that 15 stolen bases with 30 plus home runs, a solid batting average, and you know, close to 200 counting stats at this point. <laughs> I mean, I would love nothing more than to find myself in a situation in one of like the main events or something like that where I'm able to go like Verlander and, and, uh, you know, Clevenger or something like that, like two stud starting pitchers to start off with. Um, and then, uh, you know, and then take Baez at, at number, at, at, 45 you know I think that's like the best case scenario um I just I would absolutely love that start and so you know it's gonna be interesting to see what happens to him in drafts like I don't know I don't know why he's falling really obviously there's some really really good hitters here but um I would love to have Javi Baez where he's going right here because I do think that there's I think the projection is solid but I also think that there's upside on the batting average um and that would really drive, you know, some increase in, in, in the return of value that you could get from Baez right here. And he's also kind of towards the end of the really, really good shortstops, I would mm-hmm. say. He's kind of like at the he kind of bookends, you know, what I would call the elite guys. I know some people might disagree with that, but um, you know, I, I really, really like Baez um a lot right here where he's going.
1: It's a great pick. Um, like I've said in the past, I think maybe my bias towards Baez was where he was getting drafted. Now where he's getting drafted is just silly. Like like you were saying, he should be in the second round at least, or like early third. Right now, he's barely in the third round. Some sometimes he's falling into the fourth round. This is crazy talk with a guy of his caliber. For you know, he missed a handful of games last year, almost thirty, little less than thirty games. Still at you twenty nine homers and eleven stolen bases. I think. Tell me if I'm wrong. Wasn't his a hand injury also last year? I think so. Yeah, I think you're right. Hand or wrist or something. So that would affect some things as well. He still did what he did. So uh two eighty one is pretty darn impressive. And you look at his just, you know, I'm I'm the uh the i I'm the nerd that just relies on Stack page, but you know, back to back even with the injuries, back to back forty three plus hard hit rate seasons, uh twelve over almost thirteen percent barrel rates back to back season. The exit velocity was up to ninety one last year, even though he was banged up at times. Uh it was almost ninety the year before. Uh we all love bacon, a 450 x Bacon. Like the dude crushes the baseball. You're talking about Fernando Tatis's hard hit rates. Like Javi Baez, and we've seen him do it time and time again. Like his max exit of ELO last year was 114. It was 113.7, 113.3, 112.3. He's been 85th or better in the league every year since 2016. He uh that's his a max exit. His average exit is 91 last year, 41st in baseball. Andy was hurt uh this dude just rakes and man the more and more i look at his numbers doing podcasts and articles and everything else it's hard to understand like you said where he's going uh when i did my initial shortstop ranks a few weeks ago like a month ago now xander bogart's i was really really high on and the more i've broken down the Mondeses, the bias especially like i have bias up there next to fernando tatis jr That's where I'd be putting them. I'd have Mondesi right there too, like that little wave of players and then maybe like the Bogarts of the world. It's a really interesting grouping. I agree it's kind of the end of the elite tier. It's crazy you got 10 shortstops going basically in the first three rounds of 15 team drafts right now. That is wild to think about. And still, the guys after them are serviceable. It's not like we're saying the position falls off the the face of the earth, but there's 10 elite shortstops. That's another reason – why maybe double dipping to kind of screw your opponents over is interesting, but um, yeah, Javi Baez. I'm glad we talked that one out a little more. He is. Uh, let's just have fun with it. These top ten guys. Who do you think he's the best value out of these ten? Oh man, that's I know. Tough. You have, I know you have your monetary values, but yeah, just like, yeah, yeah. but just looking at it, because like you could still think Trevor Story's a value going where he's going if you think he's equal to Lindor. But, like, do you think Javi is the top value here in the top 10?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's tough for because Mondesi is, like, just $8 based on the projection, which I don't necessarily agree with. So I'd say pretty close to it. I would say of – so, like, if I were going to put them in order of rankings right now, and, again, I'm not doing, like, some sort of super deep analysis on this, but I would probably say Trey <laughs> Turner 1, Lindor 2, Story 3 – Tatis Jr., probably four. Uh, Bregman, five. Mondesi, six. Baez, seven. Bogarts, eight. Torres nine. VR, 10. Or something like that. So he, yeah. I would have him jumping the most other shortstops, I think, in, in the rankings. Um, I, like I don't know about it from a value perspective. But I, I just really like where he's going right now. I mean, he's the exact same guy. I don't think there's any major concerns based on this past year, you know, that he's a different guy from what he, he did, you know, in 2018 with, with a a, a harder ball to hit. And so I just think the upside is huge. I think the floor is really solid uh, with him. I mean, he's a streaky guy based on his approach at the plate, but you know, we've seen that and he's been remarkably consistent for a guy with that, you know, type of approach. I mean, like 273, 273, ninety, two eighty one. 281. Um, so I just – I really like him a lot.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I'm getting sold on it the more we talk, so we should stop talking about him. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, we'll do one more bonus one because we talked about Glaber and VR last week. Uh, Manny Machado, third-base shortstop eligible. We'll end up talking about him next week as well, or maybe we'll skip him and do someone else next week. But it goes to, again, what we were just talking about, 10 guys in the top 45. The 11th shortstop off the board goes 17 picks later at pick 62. That is quite the jump, and it just kind of tells you what's going on in the drafts there. But Manny Machado um, overall had a good season last year. Probably wasn't what they were expecting when you get paid that much money. But, you know, his fifth straight 30-plus home run season, uh, the counting stats were okay, not elite. Batting average was a massive drop-off from 2018. But what's your thoughts on Machado going into 2020 in San Diego?
2: Yeah, uh, his steamer projection is about a $20 player, 272 batting average, 93 runs, 37 home runs, 102 RBI, 7 stolen bases. ADP of 62 is about an $18 pick, so you're gaining about uh, $2.50 right there on the Machado pick. That said, I'm really not that into him um, at all. I mean, I've been off on him for – I wasn't into him last year – Really, actually, I don't know. That could be a lie. I think I was, I think I was more into him because of the 14 stolen bases. Hashtag recency bias. Um, <laughs> but um, I just think like he's never really been able to hit consistently outside of Camden Yards. Um, you know, he he did better on the road last year with the Padres. But even when he was in Camden, um, he really uh, he really struggled um, a lot on the road. Um, and so I just, I'm not sure, like, I just, I don't know. Like, I just don't know how good he is outside of Camden Yards. It seems kind of silly to say that, you know, but like if we look at, um, you know, like uh, his away, his away batting average, you know, so 2014, 299 at home, 259 on the road um, in 2015, it was uh two ninety, two eighty-two. Maybe I'll just convince myself by, and look like a jerk by going through this. Uh 299 289. All right. Never mind. I give up. Maybe it's the home runs. I can't remember. I looked at it last year. But anyways, I'm just a total joker just making things up on the spot. Um 2018. All right. Well, anyways, forget everything I said. I just, you know, the stolen bases. Let's go to something I actually can think about. The stolen bases are just so inconsistent, you know, 20 0 9, 14, 5. Like, there's just no consistency there, so it's really high to rely on him. Seven stolen bases at this point in the draft. You know, the 37 home runs is is definitely really nice, um, and he's been consistently in the 30s throughout, but then the 272 batting average isn't that much of a help. I mean, imagine drafting him over like a, I don't know, like a uh, Jose Obreu is a good example of somebody who I think is going to have a better batting average. won't have as many stolen bases, but I think he'll have close to the same number of home runs. He'll probably have more RBI. Um, I don't know. I just, I just think that um, the profile, you know, I'd rather just wait and get some of the shortstops that are going later. Like I'd rather have Tim Anderson just straight up probably than I would Manny Machado. And maybe that's wrong to say that, but um, I don't know. I just, I'm not, I'm not a huge Machado fan.
1: That's a bold strategy, Cotton. No, I, I don't. Uh, I don't completely dislike that thought at all. Uh, I, I think the power, you know, he could get you the thirty home runs again. But that batting average decline, I'm worried about it. If you just, it's hard, like you said, you you go through his numbers and they're okay, they're okay, they're okay. But like the few things that stand out to me when you look at it, his barrel rate dropped over three percent. His hard hit rate dropped almost five or four four and a half percent. His strikeout rate rose four and a half percent. That's that's a little alarming to me. A lot of his StatCast metrics were not what you would like, like his ex well, all that stuff dropped drastically from previous years, not in Camden Yards. Surprise, surprise. Uh, when you look at his, his zone rate, it, that dropped as well. as chase rate uh, changed a bit there. And then the other thing is, you know, we, we talk about Max Fries's article and Dan Richards' article and all these great barrel, the home runs, expected home run articles that are out there. And one of the major factors, even Alex Fast's ar- article, Pulled home, pulled barrels is very important. Well, his barrel rate dropped, like I said, over three percent, and his pull rate dropped uh, three point three percent. And he started hitting the ball opposite field over two percent more. That doesn't sound like a lot, but for a guy that's looking to hit, you know, go from like you know thirty to forty home runs, that adds up in a hurry. So uh, the fact he's going opposite field more, the barrel rate dropping down, the overall quality of contact has been changing this last season, and the strikeout rate has gone up. Thus, the average is going down. Those are all things that kind of concern me. Can he turn it around? Sure, he's 28 years old. Maybe, you know, you get the narrative. First year on a big contract, he's pressing. Those are all very, very possible situations. There's no hiding that at all. Would I be drafting Manny Machado? No. Like, I've seen some guys go to bat for Manny Machado. They could have him. I'd rather go with the guy going behind him that we're going to talk about a lot in Bo Bichette. Um, I love what Baseball HQ has to say about Bo Bichette and his hit tools, and I agree with him quite a bit. So a guy like Bichette, um, Tim Anderson, there's Carlos Correa. There's a lot of good shortstops that I still like a lot that at this point in the draft, you know, pick 62, you're on the, was that, the 6-7 turn, if I'm doing my math right, 5-6 turn. Um, you're there. There's a lot of different ways to go. Like if you went pitching early, go get some other bats. If you didn't take pitching, go grab some of those mid-tier, like a Zach Wheeler or something, whatever's going around that. I'm not even looking at who's going there. I'm just guessing from – previous thoughts like go get a you darvish or james paxton or something like that at that point in the draft instead of taking man machado that's my two cents on the situation all right uh let's go into some, some more thoughts on the position before we get into some listener questions as always um who are some sleepers that you're looking at after the top 10 at the shortstop position
2: yeah, so after the top 10, I mean, my probably my favorite shortstop is Tim Anderson, but he's not really a sleeper. So I think guys who are going a little bit um, deeper, so Nico Goodrum is a guy that I have on a lot of teams. Um, he's valuable for a number of different reasons. Right now his ADP in draft champions is, is 309. Or in the online is 309. Uh, he is a $6 um, uh, player. Um, and at a $4, about a $4 pick. Um, and, but he actually compares fairly favorable to Kevin Newman, who's going a lot higher and is an $8 pick. Uh, Goodrum is second base eligible. He's shortstop eligible and he's outfield eligible. And so in some of these leagues where you have a really short bench, um, it's kind of nice to have these, some of these dual eligible guys on your, on your bench so that they can, Kind of fill in for a number of different uh, positions on your team, and the thing that I really like about Goodrum is that he is a uh, he's a speed power guy. So I'm mean, you know he's not overwhelming in either category, but he uh, last year in 472 plate appearances he was 12 and 12. His projection is for 18 home runs and 13 stolen bases. Um, so he's going to get you double digit home runs, double digit stolen bases. The batting average is a little bit of a concern, um, but he's still, you know, relatively young. He's like twenty-seven, um, and I think with the pod, with the Tigers, he's going to get a ton of at bats. I think he's going to be one of the better hitters in that lineup, which is kind of funny uh, to think about. So I like him as kind of a later guy who can, you know, you don't necessarily want him in your, um, you know, shortstop or middle infield spot, even in a fifteen team. Uh, but I think having him on your bench um, is a nice guy, and I definitely could see him. He's one of the guys that I think could take a next step and get you to 2020, um, if possible. Um, who's who's one of yours? I'll, I'll go. We'll go. We can go one by one.
1: All right. Uh, my first one. I've been taking him in all the drafts and holds I'm doing. I'm taking a mock draft wherever I can take him. I am taking him, and I I know we'll answer this for Yancey later. But he's he's a guy I don't even mind being my starting shortstop. And he's a 23rd shortstop off the board in online drafts so far at pick 224. That's Didi Gregorius. I really, really like this value. for the Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Phillies gave him a one-year deal. The numbers looked bad last year, 238, 16 homers. But we have to remember he came back early from Tommy John surgery. The Yankees rushed him back. And then he suffered multiple, another shoulder injury and some other injury along the way. He was very, very banged up last year um we know that every single one of DD's home runs has been pulled and thanks to the great re- uh, research at PitcherList.com, 71% of pulled barrels in Philadelphia are go for home runs so it's almost equivalent to yankee stadium like the second best stadium in baseball for pulled home runs to right field so uh it bodes very well for DD getting back to a 25 plus guy steamer has a projected for 24 homers a 260 average 70 83 and six steals I picked 224 if for some reason you missed out on shortstop or for a very good middle infielder. I love DD Gregorius. Like I say, people forget he was banged up. Even as banged up as he was, he had a 204 ISO last year. So when he was hitting, he was hitting for extra bases, and he was doing it very, very well. Um, I, there's a lot to like about Didi. I'm a big, big DD fan, and I'll, I'll go back to, uh, to bat for him this year. I'm actually surprised. I was looking – I wrote up his player outlook at rotoballer, And when I did that, he was going to pick 199 in the draft champions. Now in the 11 online drafts, he's dropped to 224. So some people are falling out of love with him for now, which is fine by me. Fall out of love because I'll take him even later in drafts. But Didi is one of my favorite late round shortstops so far this draft season. Who's your two?
2: Yeah, this guy isn't really like a sleeper, but I just think there's the possibility of a ton of value. And that's Gene Segura. Uh, his ADP right now is pick two hundred four. If you look at his um, uh, projection, you know two eighty eight batting average, uh, sixteen home runs for Steamer, thirteen for ATC, thirteen stolen bases, you know eighty to eighty five runs, you know sixty to seventy RBI. Uh, I just think that there wasn't really, you know, he was a guy who was going as a top seventy guy last year. He had 319, 300, and 304, then dropped down to 280. Uh, The contact skills are still super elite. I mean, 94 in-zone contact rate, 86.6 overall contact rate, so 10% higher than league average. The the batting average skills are still there for him to be um, super good. And I think the... uh, and, and, you know, he's gonna be starting. He's gonna get second base eligibility as well. You know, in roster resource, like, you know, best guess about where he's gonna bat. You know, they have him batting, I believe it's, uh, sixth, I wanna say. Um, yeah, they have him batting sixth right now. So McCutcheon, Realmuto, Harper, Hoskins, Gregorius, Segura, um, and then followed by Kingery and Hazley. So as long as he's not batting eighth, I think he'll steal a ton of bases as well, and so I think a batting average and a stolen base combo guy going this late, you can get him as you know maybe your shortstop, but more likely like your middle infielder or bank on that second base eligibility. You know, after 15 games in the season or 10 games in the season, uh, I think he can be a really a nice value as a $14 player um, uh, right now, going at about um, uh, you know that's a $8 cost, so you're gaining about. Uh, six dollars in value
1: right there yeah DD or gene is a good one and with dd being there he'll probably gain some other eligibility like you were talking about so that could be even better if you need it down the line somewhere so i gene could be a nice bounce back last year i think a lot of us were pretty high on gene didn't quite do it last year but it'd be nice to get him back this year um carter keep him. pick 307 27th off the board i'm still a believer. I'm, I'm believing the managers. I know this is foolish, but maybe spring training will change things. But they want they want every chance for him to be the starting third baseman. That's what they want. And I know there's a lot of moving parts there, but the more you read things, the more you look through the tea leaves. They want Kibum at third. They want Castro at, at uh, second. They want um, Trey, Turner at sh- not, Trey Turner at short. And they want a, a platoon of Thames and Kendrick at first that's the ideal situation cabrera just plays like super utility kind of subbing in and out that's what they want so you give me like 140 games of carter keep him i'll be stoked he was really really good in the minors he's always been good in the minors um some believe you know he had 16 homers in 109 games last year they believe it's a 20 plus home run guy he, re- he reminds you when he's in the box he reminds you a lot of a trey turner type he's kind of tall and skinny and um doesn't look like he'd be overwhelming at the plate but sneaky good power Um, the speed still is not where you would hope it would be, like only at five or six steals, but the counting stats will be there, and he's a very good batting average guy in the minor leagues, like a 290 to 300 batting average in the minors. The, The projections are kind of all over the board, ATC 86 games, Steamer 102 games, so they're not believers in him playing right now. But, you know, 102 games with 12 homers, I don't have a calculator out, but say he plays 140 games. That's 40 more games along the lines. He's getting closer. He's like 18 home runs, I believe, 18 to 20 homers if you do the quick kind of half math there. And that puts his counting stats into the 60s. And it's at least more believable. I'd like more out of him. But where he's going in drafts right now with Carter Keboom, he's going to pick 307 right before your Nico Good- Goodrum call. And I think that um, if he does play every day as a third baseman in that lineup and if Turner goes to the third, maybe Keyboom comes near the top of the order. Maybe. We'll see. But uh, that could be quite an interesting play at that point in the draft. Yeah, I love that shout
2: because that's the type of guy that you can take in your draft. And there's very little cost attached to it. The upside, I think, is tremendous, as you mentioned. And, you know, if, if, it, if it looks like it's, he's not going to get the plate appearances that you were anticipating, then you've got a free spot to, to churn in your roster. Or, you know, if your mm-hmm. team's doing well, you can hang on to him a little while and see how things settle out. So I think there's a, it gives you a lot of flexibility coming out of the draft.
1: And then, on that's something tonight. you mentioned, and it's something you mentioned right there about the ability to just drop him and turn your spot. And that was kind of a thing on Sunday. I tweeted out like Travis Shaw's value. We don't have to go into that tweet because we can talk about Travis Shaw at third base next week. But um, I think where he's going as a starter is tremendous value. And some people think, well, he won't play enough this and that. I said, but the beauty of it all is, if he doesn't, he's basically free at pick four hundred and something that you just drop him. Like, there's there's a certain point in the draft where your lineup should probably be set by now, and now you're picking up your bench and guys that you're going to be moving in and out because I know you've talked about it. We've talked fab, Fab. Uh, Vlad Settler, who is a phenomenal Fab player, he talks about, I think even Scott Jensen on the Rotowire pod, they talk about literally your bench should be, like, churning and burning almost all the time unless sometime, somehow you strike gold, basically. So... You don't want to be too attached to your late-round picks for the most part, maybe, is what I'm trying to say. And that's where taking gambles on the key booms and all these other guys becomes quite intriguing. Definitely. Um, any other sleepers you're looking at at shortstop?
2: Yeah, just a couple guys. Um, I have Dansby Swanson and Willie Adamas as some other guys. Um, so Swanson, I think, is pretty well known. His ADP right now in the online is 291. Um, so he's going pretty late um, in drafts. Uh, he excelled at the first half of the season, struggled the second half of the season after coming back from injury. It seemed like he was injured, but there's some really concrete gains. Uh, his plate discipline was much better in 2019, uh, similar to what he had been his previous career, but down about uh, 9% his O swing. So he's swinging at better pitches. His hard hit rate was up 7%. His barrel rate surged, his exwoba surged from previous seasons. And so you're really looking at a guy who can get you kind of 20 and 10. That's almost what he did last year. He can get you 20 and 10, and there may be even a little bit of upside there. Depending on where the um, Braves bat him in the lineup Too, they have a pretty weak uh, lineup. So you could see a, a situation that could occur where you end up with Dansby Swanson hitting in maybe the five spot after Marcelo Ozuna if he performs well enough. And I think that'll be a really nice spot for him. So I think there's a lot of different directions where that can go positively for you um, from a Dansby Swanson perspective. And then Willie Adamas is a guy that I'm struggling with a little bit just because I saw so many really good uh, changes in what he was able to do last year. Everybody or folks who probably listen to this podcast know that I'm like a really big uh, rolling average graphs person. And when you look at his rolling average graph, it's just really nice because you can see you know, just like the approach change, the improvement in contact rate, the improvement in O-swing and ground ball rate and hard hit rate. Um, so like his his uh, contact rate surged towards the end of the year to really solid 88% in the zone, um, above league average overall. Um, his hard hit rate was above 40%, 43.4% over those last 40 games. And then his ground ball rate was down for much of the last, second half of the season, you know, still a little too high in the low 40s, but really solid. So he's a guy and then his uh, statcast metrics also surge. So he's a guy, he's now got like 1500 plate appearances I think under his belt, something like that or never mind, 907 plate appearances under his belt. He's got two seasons. Um, you know, he could take the next step, has already hit 20 home runs. My only challenge with him is that like his weakest spots are are probably going to be batting average and stolen bases. And so I think he can make some ground up there, but I'm just struggling to see a little bit how he turns out that value. But overall, I think he's a, he's a really good, um, you know, it's a, he's a really interesting guy. I just hope he doesn't end up batting ninth for the Rays. And I'll stop talking because it seems like your dog maybe is tired of the talking.
1: No, the dog was getting possessed over its toy. Everything's fine. Um, I, I agree. <laughs> okay, good. Uh... I'm glad we don't, I don't have a beef with your dog. No, the other dog came into the room and he thought, yeah, you know, dogs, Um, dumb dogs, but uh, they're my dogs. Um, I agree with both those, those takes on both those guys. We'll get, I'll, I'll, I'll save mine for later as we have listener questions on both of those guys, but I agree with everything you had to say there. Um, Who is your top shortstop bust?
2: Uh, My top shortstop bust, I feel a little cheating saying this, but uh vr is uh is i guess my top shortstop boss just going where he's going um and my lower expectations um for him but i'll skip him because i think he was also my bust on the second baseman And i'll go with carlos correa um i just don't think anything he does like he's he's going at pick 95 right now he has not been able to stay healthy um, I mean, really, like he's got one season with over 600 plate appearances. He's got you know 432, 664, 81, 468, 321. He's only hit higher than 279 one time. He's never hit 25 home runs in a season. He hasn't stolen more than three bases in three years. I just don't, I just don't like him at all. I don't know why I would take him at an ADP of 95. Um, when I could take like a million guys, I'd rather take, you know, the next guys are like Eddie Rosario who I'd rather take and Jeff McNeil, who I'd rather take Um, Trey boo, Trey boo boo. I'd rather take Tim Anderson. I'd rather take, Um, there's just Mike Moustakas. I'd rather, I mean, like Oscar Mercado, Marcelo Zuna, I'd rather take. There's so many guys I'd rather take than Carlos Correa going where he's going, especially with, you know, the skill at shortstop that still exists in the draft at this point in time. So he he's my major bust. I'm just not going anywhere
1: near him. No, I don't mind that at all. Uh I Gleyber Torres, Johnny VR, two guys I, I've pretty much gave my two cents on those busts. But uh for shortstop, I wrote it up at uh, uh fantasy sports DJs is my bust at shortstop. And it's nothing against the guy. I like the guy as a player quite a bit. But where he's getting drafted about pick eighty-eight overall, Marcus Simeon, I'm gonna call a bust at his draft price because I don't people are drafting him for last year's numbers and you're not going to get those this year. I'm just going to – that that that's where I stand on that one. You may get 10 steals, which is good and all, but you might get like 10 home runs fewer than the 33 you got last year. The average was uh, much higher, 285 after being 255, 249, 238, 257. Big jumps there, big, big jumps uh, in a lot of categories. And I, I see a lot of that settling back down. The projection sites agree, you know, 269, 25, 98, 79, and 12 on steamer. Still a very good profile, but I almost read you a very similar profile with d Gregorius. You can get a similar profile with Dansby Swanson, with Willie Adamas, with a lot of later round guys. So um, I like Marcus Simeon a lot, but where he's getting drafted, no thank you. I'll be passing on Marcus Simeon. And for that, uh, since I didn't want to give VR or Glaber, I will give Marcus Simeon as my bust. And again, nothing against the player, just not where he's getting drafted. So that's where I stand on that one. Um, Who's your top shortstops on draft day?
2: Yeah. So my top shortstop target is probably Tim Anderson. As I mentioned before, Um, you know, he's all the way down at like, what, what is he in in He's draft pick uh,
1: 15 pick one
2: Oh five, you know, in the online, which I think is really good value. He was going like late eighties. I think I want to say in a lot of the DCs, um, I just think that you know he's like a, he's a 2020 guy and he had some really concrete skill improvements last year uh, with his contact rate and um, you know so I don't think, you know, think the batting average is going to be 335 but I think I would expect like you know 275 is, seems fine but I think there's upside on that like 280 285 maybe from Anderson. Um, if he gets a full season, I can see he's already gone 20 and 26 in 2018. So I could see him going like 25 and 25 uh, this year. If he's able to get uh, to that 600 plate appearances, steamer, isn't quite as high, you know, but at 21 and 17, but ATC has met at 279 with 20 home runs and 22 stolen bases, which is really nice. He's in a better lineup. Um, contact rate was up nearly 4% last year to better than league average. He's super aggressive. So he swings at everything, which I think is one of the reasons why his draft, the price is lower is just cause he's got this rep as being having terrible plate discipline. And he does, I mean, a 2.9% walk rate, but he swings so frequently that he doesn't strike out a lot because he is swinging at so many different pitches. So if he swings and misses on one, it's probably just one strike count. And then he's swinging at the next one. So um, I just think in a, in an average league, I just think everything plays together really, really well. And then he's in just a much better lineup this year than he was in last year. And so I can really take see him taking some really nice steps forward. Um, and he mentioned, you know, about how he was just learning how to hit, like, recently. Like, he has just really started uh, to learn how to play baseball, <laughs> which was kind of surprising to hear. But, you know, like, a lot of teams don't have great player development uh, systems. And so it really seemed like he... He kind of took a next step uh, this past year. And I, I do think there's another gear, at least in terms of the home runs and the, and the stolen bases for him. Um, and so, you know, hopefully the batting average will drop a little bit and we'll see a little bit of growth in those other areas. So I just really like him as a balanced profile going, you know, a lot later in drafts. Um, so that was my number one guy. Should I roll through all of them and then you yeah, want just, to cover it? Yeah, Can just roll through, through them all
1: and th- then I'll list mine off.
2: Okay, and then so Javi Baez is another one. I already covered him, but really, really like him. Ahmed Rosario is a guy that I like a lot. Um, just because he's going to give you t- you know, 20-plus stolen bases, probably, 20 stolen bases, the power isn't going to hurt you a ton. like, It's not going to help. He's going to give you probably like 15 home runs or so, but the batting average is also really good. And he seems to be a guy who's just been kind of consistently improving. He's got a few years under his belt now, so maybe he can take that next step with either the batting average or power. Jorge Polanco feels like a really safe guy going where he's going around pick 150. Um, you know, like he was injured the second half of the season where he really, his performance really dwindled. I mean, he's not going to keep up what he did the first half of the season, but he had surgery on his ankle, which apparently was really bothering him throughout the second half of the season. And he's just a guy who's going to have a solid average. He's going to hit a little pop. Um, and I think he's going to score a crap ton of runs in that lineup. And so just a really solid overall guy there. And then if I miss out on a lot of those targets or, you know, I don't get another guy earlier on, I think I mentioned Gene Segura is a guy that I like, Willie Adamas and Nico Goodrum um, as guys that I could see myself getting kind of later on in drafts at shortstop.
1: Yeah, I like a lot of those names. There's a lot to like at the position. For me, um, The one of the Lindor Turner stories, one of those three, like we talked about, I would love to leave early in the draft with one of those three players. If not, I got no problem dropping down to uh, Javi Baez. Uh, the more we talked about him, the more I'm starting to really, really like some Javi Baez. Um, but if we drop down some more, a guy we'll talk about a lot on listener questions, Bo Bichette. Uh, I, I'm a big buyer in what he could do, his overall hit tool, his pedigree. Um, a listener question we have coming up compares him and Fernando Tatis. Maybe a little soon for that, but I see where the question's coming from. Uh, you're going to have 2020 20 upside, 2.75 average. I, I know Rob Silver keeps saying that – he doesn't think the Blue Jays will run a lot, I guess. But um, you got all these young kids that can run like crazy. Eventually, you need to run or get a new manager. That's just my two cents. So we'll we'll see how that goes this season. I like the Medrazario call. Had him a lot of places last year, and a great source of stolen bases if you don't get them early. And then after that, you know, Didi Gregorius, love him. And there's there's some interesting darts, so like Dansby Swanson and company later on. But I'd like to I'd like to not go past Didi if I don't have to for the most part, at shortstop. All right, what's your plan for shortstop on draft day?
2: Um, So my general plan is uh, hope that Baez falls to me (laughs) in (laughs) round three or four initially. Um, No, but, like, going for Baez at that point in time, I think Tim Anderson kind of in that middle group, and then the fallback options, like, depending on what my roster construction needs. If I need speed slash batting average, I think Rosario – um is really good. If I need batting average and runs, um, then I think Polanco is really good there, or even Segura with the batting average and speed. And then if I'm desperate, I think it's Adamus and Goodrum, who I'm kind of going to very late on in drafts. Um, I don't want to be at that point necessarily, but you know if I'm if I'm at that point, it just means that the rest of my team hopefully is very good. And shortstop is just the place where I happen not to get anybody.
1: How about you? Yeah, uh, for me, like I said, I kind of want one of those early guys. So I'm not going to force it. Um, there, there's a lot to like at the back end of these drafts. Like, I, I'm a big J Ram fan. You mentioned him a few times. If I can go that route, depending on who's getting taken and whatnot, I have no problem with that. But I'd like one of those those top three. Otherwise, I wait to Javi, like you said, or I just drop down even farther and, and keep moving. I just want to make sure I get one of. Uh, the top options, I want to get some steals at a shortstop. And we've talked about that a few times at this middle infield position, getting some stolen bases. I think shortstop has a very, very good spot. That's kind of why I like with Bichette, Ahmed Rosario, uh, our, our two other targets that like to steal bases if you miss out something. You know, if you get really weird, I know we didn't talk about him. I'm not over the moon about the guy, but Elvis Andrus is going to run. He's going to run a lot. That's something we know for a fact with him. So – if you really, really find yourself needing steals and you're 130 picks into the draft, not a guy to forget. And then I forgot to mention him in sleepers because I looked on an FEC and no one's drafted him yet. So keep an eye on the Luis Urias injury for Milwaukee. If for some reason he's going to be out for a while, Ronnie Rodriguez is going to be free in drafts. I'm just going to throw that out there for you with a lot of position eligibilities. But, and he should flourish in that ballpark out of Detroit. Something to think about, but uh, that was for the sleeper department. All right, let's get into the boatload of listener questions. Uh, we'll get through them all here for you, and we'll start with Mike, and I apologize if I mispronounce your name. I really, really apologize. I, I know we have one listener that gave me the proper pronunciation, so we're good there. But um, Mike Cozzolino, Uh I try to go pretty high end and middle of the road for shortstop and middle infield spots. I typically want Lindor, Story, Correa, and C. Anderson. Maybe not those exact guys, but grabbing a few earlier than later is not, uh, if nothing more than to try and cut other guys off on the position. So it's kind of what we've been talking about. Like I said, well, you could really cut them off by going top heavy and double dipping, or do you want like get one of the top guys and buy as you want one of the top guys and you know like a top another top fifty like a Tim Anderson stuff on those lines. Is that kind of something you you can gel with? Um. Yeah. I mean. I mean. I'm. I think it's
2: like a give and take, right? It's like if you're taking two shortstops early on, it means that later in the draft you're looking for positions that might not be, you know, as deep. And so I think if, if you know, taking it is something uh, that I – taking too early on is something that I consider. I mean, the talent is so, is so deep. But, like, I guess I don't – the cutting other guys off of the position, like, I think what you should be doing is focusing less on what other teams (laughs) are doing and what they have ahead of them and really just trying to draft your best team, right? If you're fixating too much on cutting off other teams, like it's really hard in a draft depending on how it rolls to pay enough attention to your team like you need to and also pay attention to everybody else's team. And so I think you need to be focused on the drafting the best team. Um, And so I'm not really worried about what other people are doing. I don't even track what other teams are projecting toward, Um, you know, in a single, in a solo league, like keeping track of like if people are punting saves and what that means for closers being available or something like that, like that's certainly something to pay attention to. But if you are going to cut guys off at a position, as long as I'm understanding what he means by this correctly, like I don't think it makes sense to do that at the deepest position. Like you would, I would rather focus on positions where, you know, maybe grabbing two second basemen early that you really like because, you know, in that particular instance, second base is a lot less deep. So, what I would say is, I have no problem with taking two really good shortstops because, my go- my goodness, there are some really, really good uh, quality shortstops. But I'm not worried about what my picks are meaning to other players. I'm just trying to build, you know, the best team that I possibly can. And um, I think that that's, that I guess would be a little bit of my response is just to really focus on your team and building the best team that you can. And if that includes taking two shortstops early on, you know, then uh, I think that's that's absolutely wonderful. Um, but don't do it because of, you know, the impact it's going to have on other players, um, you know, on your team. The only instances that I would really think about something like that is if, you know, a, a lot of the stolen base shortstops that you really need are, are drying up. Like, that's one thing that I definitely think about is like, if I'm getting to a point where I need speed on my team, and I don't have shortstop filled or I don't have middle infield filled and I'm getting to like Ahmed Rosario and Elvis Andrews territory, then I might consider grabbing those guys to keep other guys from getting them before I do because I desperately need speed. And that's one of the places you can get it, but I'm not thinking about it as in like, I'm going to get these guys. So my competitors aren't you know going to have access to them because I think there's plenty of good players going early on in drafts that you can get in other positions. And it just means that you're going to be weaker at positions outside of shortstop and middle. Infield. Does that make sense?
1: That makes a ton of sense. Uh, it, it's the the answer we've given many times and people might get annoyed by it, but it's so true. And that's why we say it over and over again. It's all about roster construction. It's, it's that plain and simple. Um, if, if it benefits your team, if it's what your team needs, then go for it. If you don't need it and you're hurting yourself somewhere else by taking it on a shortstop, then don't do it. It's it's pretty pretty cut and dry. Like you were saying, um, I like when, when I was talking about you know double dipping up top. It's because you could lock in you know fifty fifty to sixty stolen bases and you know sixty plus home runs and good averages. Like it it benefits your team. But if you're just taking guys to take guys, then there's a difference. So uh, it's like roster constructions. I'm a big big person. I say it a lot. Just know your player pool. Do mock drafts. Do your your rankings or a set of rankings you trust, follow those, figure out your system. So when you go into a draft, you're not going through 40 pages of stuff. You kind of already, you can still skim through stuff. There's never anything wrong with that. But like have an idea, of, you know, when I'm coming to this point in the draft, I know this position starting to shrink up or this, that, or the other, that you know what you need going into like that point. And I think that'll help, you know, should I take a second shortstop or not? Stuff like that. So I'm 100% with you there. And it kind of goes with our next listener question from Corey Steiner. Are you staying away from drafting two shortstops in the first few rounds because of position depth or only a minor consideration? And it's like we kind of said is it's not as much of a position depth thing as a lineup or a roster construction thing. Uh, The depth allows you to maybe wait later if you want, but it goes back to what you said. If you want stolen bases, a lot of the heavy stolen bases guys are going in the top 10. So, you pick your poison there. If you need those stolen bases and you don't like where you can get steals elsewhere, then yeah, you go get two shortstops. Make Javi as your second shortstop and you're going to be sitting pretty. Otherwise, you're going to sit around and uh, find stolen bases elsewhere. That'd be my thoughts on it. What about you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely something that – it's definitely a consideration just because I know the position is is deep. But, yeah, it's really a situation where you want to have the best roster construction. I mean, one place where I could see the value in doing it more is the shallower the league. Because I think in shallower leagues, what really separates players, like there's plenty of players that get a decent amount of counting stats and home runs in shallower leagues. But what really separates guys is batting average and stolen bases. And there's some, you know, shortstops uh, that really have just an incredible combination of batting average, home runs, and stolen bases You know, and so I can see maybe targeting, uh, you know, two shortstops early on because of those profiles in shallower leagues. But it's definitely it's like something that I've definitely considered. And I've noticed how, you know, like I I think in one draft, I can't remember which one it was. I think it was the pitcher pitcher list mock draft. Um, So not a real draft, but I think I did when Adalberto Mondesi and Javi Baez in like rounds three and four, it's a 12 team draft. And I found myself being like kicking myself a little bit because of how many good shortstops were left later on in drafts, where I was weaker in other positions. And so I probably like in a deeper draft, like a fifteen teamer, I wouldn't do it generally because I, I I'm big on starting pitcher early, and so I'm definitely not going to get two of those elite shortstops. Probably I could see a situation where you know I got like Trevor Story at you know pick fourteen or fifteen, and then I took like Max Scherzer um and then coming back around i took javi baez as if he was still available. i could definitely see something like that happening like that would be a roster construction uh you know situation where i would take two shortstops but you know i'm probably not going to do it just because i'm generally like shortstop and middle infielders along with outfielders are the only source of speed available later on and so i kind of want to hold those open to be able to fill those with that um one thing that i will say though is like Is with shortstop, it is the deepest position, but it is also super top heavy in the sense that, like, you know, you have 10 shortstops within the first 45 picks, but, you know, it does thin out. Like, once you get past pick 150, you know, you're looking at the Gene Segura's of the world and the Didi Gregorius's of the world, and those aren't bad guys to have in those positions necessarily. But, you know, it doesn't take long before you're in the Willie Adamas uh, category if you don't if you don't get a shortstop before that. So I think just don't lull yourself into a false sense of security and wait too long. Um, but, you know, so again, like thinking about getting two shortstops earlier, it's definitely something that I wouldn't be opposed to doing. But I think because speed is available later at that position, oftentimes for a roster, roster construction perspective, I'm not doing it.
1: All right. Uh, ben Bented. Will Tim Anderson and Marcus Simeon's averages decline? I think steam rate DC has pretty low around 260s on Simeon, but his underlying stats don't seem to support a drop. Um, yes, like I already said with my bust that I believe Simeon's will drop, and I'm not sure exactly what underlying stats you're looking at because when you pull up his X-band average, his, um, he, he outperformed that. His barrel rate doubled. His hard hit rate went up 5%. His strikeout rate dropped 5%. From the basically year by year career norms that are almost identical, so that is it a one year wonder or is he really really that good? The reason why I'm saying one year, I'm saying more one year wonder. I'm kind of in between. He's very very good, but uh, I I would not expect a 285 average. I'd be more happy with like a 270 average. So I believe it'll drop. Uh, Tim Anderson's your boy. You're you are a big fan of his. So what do you got on Simeon and Anderson's batting averages?
2: Yeah, I think with um, Simeon and, and Anderson's batting average, I definitely think they're going to drop. Uh, you know, or at least definitely Anderson's. I mean, Anderson had a 399 uh, OBP or uh, BABIP last year, um, and that is uh, definitely going to come down. Um, you know, his career BABIP is 345, so he definitely has a higher BABIP than league average. Um, but I, I think that it. Um, you know, it might be a little light. Steamer's projection is at 275. I think ATC is at 279. I'd lean towards that ATC at 279. But if you look at Tim Anderson's previous two seasons, a 240 batting average and a 256 batting average, last year it was a 292 expected batting average. The two previous seasons, it was 227 and 245. So he does outperform his expected batting averages because he is he is a fast guy. And so the question is really like, is, is the, are the skills that he puts together because of the increased contact rate, the lower strikeout rate, you know, are they going to be back at that 90, 292 expected BA and then he'll be around 300 as a hitter? I would expect a little bit of regression on that. So maybe thinking of him as like somewhere between 275 and 285 is what I would shoot for. So I think ATC at 279 um, is pretty correct there because you can look at like last year and really focus on that and see a different player, but you have to factor in the consistency and what he's done before that, and the fact that he had 240 and 256 before that. You know that definitely dims it a, a little bit, but I still like Anderson from a to be a, a batting average value. I would just go more towards that, like kind of 280 is what I think of him as more. Um, for Semyon, it's really uh, it's interesting for him. Um, you know he is a guy that i would definitely expect a little bit of regression on that batting average from september really drove his batting average gains a, a 347 batting average in september versus and and a 338 expected batting average um you know but every other month was below 292 i think he ended up hitting two was it 285 or 289 um, 285 yeah 285 for the for the season and so it wasn't like he was consistently really high with those batting average marks in previous years he was at 255 249 238 and so really to think that he's gonna have much higher than like a 270 batting average you're really putting a lot of emphasis on last season and I don't necessarily think that that is wrong I mean he was clearly a much better uh, hitter his like you mentioned his barrel rate surge his hard hit rate surge he was his uh, His strikeout rate went down a ton. Um, And so there's certainly reasons to be optimistic that he's a better hitter than he has been before. But I just think there's things like, you know, his contact rate improved by 1.8% overall. Um, And yet his, you know, strikeout rate dropped by 5%. To me, that points towards a little bit of regression and Steamer's expecting the same thing, right? Expecting a 16%. Strikeout rate, so not that eighteen percent of the previous year, but not the thirteen point seven percent of this uh, most recent year. And so, I really think that's why projections are so important, is because they do bake in regression. Like just because somebody earned the performance that they that they had, there's a really good thread uh, that I shared that Alex uh, Chamberlain had, where it was like just because somebody deserved or or, or earned you know, the stats that they had doesn't mean that they're not going to regress, right? Like, you know, the that that um, just because somebody did something and the stats support it doesn't mean that they're going to be able to replicate it. It doesn't mean that regression doesn't come for for it. And so I think if you're factoring regre- in regression from a 285 batting average, given the history that Semyon has, I think the 269 is fair. Um, I do disagree. Well, I don't know if I disagree slightly with you, Bubba, but I think he is. I think he is solid, like where he's going in drafts around like pick ninety or so, just because it is a very balanced profile. The A's are going to be really good. He's going to be at the top of that lineup, but I do think that regression is coming, like you mentioned, and I think that's the key. Is like don't draft him expecting, like you said, Bubba, before, like that it's going to be that he's going to re- re- recreate twenty nineteen where he had seven hundred and fifty plate appearances, right? Like expect some regression to that, and I think what Steamer and ATC are doing uh, are reasonable
1: expectations for a guy of Simeon's skill in that lineup. No doubt about it. Um, next one from Heath Caps. We you've mentioned Tim Anderson quite a bit, so why don't you let him know why is Tim Anderson so cheap? Well, I'll, I'll try to shorten it up a little bit. My God, do I ramble? But I think it's, I think it's, um,
2: I think it's a bias. Uh, That people have developed. And it's one that I held previous to this year. And it's really the fact that he's got such awful plate discipline, like that walk rate. So anybody who pays attention to that stuff is just immediately kind of adverse to taking him. Um, And he deserves that, right? Like he does not have good plate discipline. He does not walk. He's super aggressive. But in an average five by five roto league, like he's shown over multiple years that he can be a guy who generates a ton of value. I mean, if he gave you a 250 batting average with 20 home runs and 26 stolen bases, like you'd be pretty happy with that going where he's going right now in drafts. And so I think that I'm hoping this year that people continue to hold that bias against him and he stays in this kind of 100 to 110 range. I think I got him at like pick 111 or 114 in the OC that I did, but you know, I hope he stays there, but would I be surprised if he pushes up into the eighties, you know, low nineties? No, no. Um, but he's definitely a guy that I really love and I target. And I think people are making a mistake if they are letting him remain as cheap as he is.
1: Cody McDonald asks, Do you scale your valuations based in part on positional depth or scarcity? Um, I just I guess it's kind of a loaded question. I, I um I, I scale my valuations position by position. So I guess if it's deeper, sure. But if the player's good, the player's good. It just you can't rank him as high as the way I look at it. Like I still value the player for what they're worst. Again, that's why we talked about taking too early if it fits your line of construction. Uh, if not, you can wait. Cause there is depth. It just kind of depends on how you're building things out. I said, I wouldn't say I, I specifically go into a draft uh, valuing them less. Cause there's more at that position and valuing a second baseman more. Uh, I just know like make sure I leave second base with Mustakis or something. If I go early at shortstop or somewhere else. So you have to be cognizant of the different depths of positions or scarcities at a position. But should it change the way you value said player? I would say no. They're as good as their draft price is for a reason. Uh, so Javi Baez, yes, he's the 10th shortstop. but And maybe if he was at second base, he'd be the second or third second baseman. He'd still be going to pick 45 either way. So, Or or maybe maybe not a, a ton. You might go a little higher because people do value it. I don't. So that's the way I look at it. What about you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think um, and the second part of Cody's question is, would a shortstop with the same counting stats as Rayo Muto? I was going to get less? there. Oh, you were going to get there?
1: I was going to have you answer the first oh. one so I could stop oh, you damn. and do the next one.
2: <laughs> oh, man, Bubba. This is what happens when I go off script. I should know yeah. that every single thing you do in hosting <laughs> this podcast is done with purpose and intention. My God, I apologize. Um, so the only place where I, um, you know, so with my valuations, I mean, I really shouldn't call them my valuations. Like I, in the past, I've tried to create valuations and I spent so much time on it and math isn't necessarily my strong suit. And so, uh, there's a great tool and I promoted it before, uh smart fantasy baseball, Tanner Bell. He's one of the authors of the process. He has a standard gains points, um, tool. Um, that generates values um, and it's super flexible and customizable. And I use that to generate my values. So technically speaking, they're not my values. They're Tanner, but Tanner's values in his spreadsheet that he's created and he's much smarter and better than numbers at me. Um, and so I use that in generating the valuations based on the league and things like that. But really the only place where position scarcity matters that much is at catcher, um, particularly in, in, in two catcher leagues. And so um, you know, the, that's really the only place where I'm doing it. But like Bubba mentioned, I think you need to factor in roster construction. So, like, if you're going into a situation where you need stolen bases and you've got one second baseman left on the board who's got stolen bases and you've got three shortstops who have stolen bases, then that's a situation where all things being equal, I'm going to go with the second baseman over the shortstop and value them maybe slightly more because of roster construction purposes, because I know, okay, I'm going to hit up this second baseman, And then when it comes back to me, you know, two of these three shortstops are probably going to be available and then I'll be able to get them. And then I'll be able to catch up on speed without hurting these other categories. So that's how I would think about it. It's more about roster construction as you think about what's available within a position. So like scarcity within a position, I think is how we've talked about it before. And knowing what profiles are available within a position, what you need for your team, and being cognizant of that as you draft.
1: And you mentioned two catcher leagues there. And the second part of this thing was, would a shortstop with the same counting stats as Real Muto, who we know you're a big fan of, be worth less? So would a shortstop be worth less than Real Muto if they had the same counting stats? So I believe you would say probably yes at a two catcher league, but how would you go about that?
2: Yeah, so, um, yeah, I, I definitely think they are. Um, I mean, think even in a single catcher league, if you're talking about the same counting stats for a non-catcher as a catcher, then I think they would be more uh, valuable than, uh, than the hitter just because of what the rest of the talent pool at catcher looks like. Um, and so, uh, you know, so I, I would answer yes to in both single catcher and, and two catcher leagues, just more in two catcher leagues. Um, so, like, a uh, uh, good example of this would be, like, right now um, on my uh, projections, you know, in my valuations, I currently have J.T. Raul Muto. Um, it says right here he's the 38th most valuable player on the board um, at about $21. A guy with a similar, you know, projection to him uh, might be, um, let's see, uh, what would be a good one for a shortstop. Oh, geez. Um, for like a shortstop, a similar guy with a similar projection would maybe be like a... Hard to find a really good comp here, but maybe like a Corey Seager or something like that. So like a decent batting average, you know, mid-20 home runs, you know, decent counting stats, you know, limited stolen bases. I mean, Real Muto might have more stolen bases, but like Seager's like an $11 player and ranked 163rd. So it does make a huge difference. And so I think the thing is, there's a lot of theory about like how to value catchers. A lot of folks bake in, in two catcher leagues, they bake, bake in you know, uh, a bump because of the position for catchers. And then a lot of people, the valuations give a higher value and they and they kind of, they, they uh, cut down that bump based on like market, like what they think the market forces will be. Because a lot of times you see people won't play for catchers. And so for me, like, I don't think you have to necessarily be totally beholden to those, those valuations, but for me, for a lot of reasons I've stipulated before, and this isn't a catcher podcast, so I won't go too into detail about it, go back and listen to the catcher podcast. Cause I think I articulate it better is I, I, I do value catchers a lot more in two catcher leads. And so a guy like Ray Muto, because he's good in batting average, because he's going to probably have the most stolen bases of catchers. Um, you know, for those reasons, I think he's a very valuable commodity in 15 team leagues. Um, and so I would rather, I, I, I prioritize drafting him. Um, and so the answer to the question is yes, I do place more value. Somebody who's a position player who has the same counting stats projected as Real Muto, I would go Real Muto over him every single time.
1: Also Cody had one last question. I think this is kind of funny, goofy, but uh can we get a cross-pollination pod with you guys and Sleeper in the Bus, like Sleep Flip and Bub Bust? I think it's great, but uh, Paul and Justin, yeah, they're uh, they're they're, they're a, a class above us, I would say.
2: Yes, I think for sure. I mean, Paul, Jason, Justin, they're all awesome. I mean, the first podcast that I ever listened to in fantasy baseball was the Sleeper in the Bus back when it was Paul and Eno um, and and Jason, I think, at the time. Um, and, you know, they do absolutely excellent work. And so, yes, it would certainly be an honor for us to join, uh, you know, join, join with them at all. They're both really great. They're all three of them are really great guys. I've gotten the pleasure of meeting, uh, all three of them at First Pitch Arizona in person and Justin a few times. We're going to be doing the barf draft in a couple of weeks, which will be really exciting. So we'll get to see Justin, but, um, uh, honored that you would consider us in the same class as them, Cody, but I think they, uh, they, as multi multiple winners and nominees of best fantasy baseball podcast, they are they are terrific. They make it a lot of fun, um, and they provide
1: really good content. No doubt about it. But uh, maybe we'll maybe we'll get nominated next year. It'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure,
2: for sure. Put those nominations in next year, guys. <clears throat>
1: yep, exactly. Just do it. Um, but Yancey Eaton, good old buddy Yancey. Um, who this? We kind of hinted at this earlier. Who are the worst two to three names that you feel okay? With as, you, as you're as starting shortstops in a 15 team, or like who is like the last resort at your starting position when you leave the draft? Like I said, I have no problem starting Didi. Um, I prefer like the Med Rosario, uh, Jorge Polanco, a Didi at very worst. I would say a Dansby Swanson. I'd prefer Dansby or like the Adamas's of the world to be maybe a middle infielder, but for starting shortstop, I'd probably go as low as Didi, would be my lowest guy, but like. I'd rather like I'd push Didi ahead of some, like I wouldn't want Kevin Newman there. I wouldn't want Corey Seager, maybe Paul DeYoung, but Didi's my guy for me. Like I talked about earlier, who's kind of your, your last resort for starting shortstop.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it also depends on whether my middle infield slot is filled or not, because if I'm, you know, if I have both middle infield and shortstop slotted and I'm getting into some of those deeper guys then I know that I'm in a, in, in a little bit of rough shape, which actually happened to me in one draft. I think I did fine as a 15-teamer. I ended up with Adamus at short and uh, Jonathan Scope at, at, at middle infielder. Um, you know, but, you know, I, I'd say, like, generally speaking, Jorge Polanco is a little bit of a benchmark for me, um, just in terms of guys who don't I don't have a ton of questions about, um, who, I, who I really like. And so that's kind of maybe the first threshold for me would be uh, would be Polanco. So he's going at like 165 or so. Um, You know, I think with Newman and Segura, De Jong actually isn't terrible there at at 207. You know, some of those guys, I think there's enough question marks or enough limitations with the profile that I'm not as excited. So Polanco is a little bit of a threshold for me right there. Um, You know, but if I've gotten like, oftentimes, if I've missed out on those guys, it means that I've just been able to get some really good values at other positions. So I'm not concerned about it. It's more about how, like one thing I like about the shortstop position is there's a lot of flexibility. So like if you need, you know, stolen bases late, like it's a position that you can get stolen bases late from. If you need batting average, there's some guys who can get you batting average late. If you need some pop, there's even some guys who can get you 20 plus home runs a little bit later. And so uh, that's one of the things that I like about shortstop. And so that might be a a reason why sometimes I've gone into drafts and gotten a little late the worst starting shortstop I have so far on all of my teams is, is Willie Adamas. Um, I have him in one of my draft champions leagues as my starting shortstop um, in other leagues. I've got, I've actually got quite a, quite a range of shortstops. I've got one Trevor story share, got myself a Tim and a couple Tim Anderson shares. Um, I also have a Javi Baez share. And then I have a um, God, who do I have? Well, I have, I have one other share of a shortstop. Um that's pretty good. But Adamus is the worst. I think when I'm getting towards that end, uh, you know, I'm a little bit concerned. But again, like it's a flexible position from a roster construction standpoint. So I'm not as worried as long as, you know, I'm just like I don't have holes in other places in my lineup at that time, that I'm I'm feeling that shortstop position.
1: Yeah, I think filling statistical needs, I'm preferring my middle infield spot for that. But uh yeah, I, I can see so you can definitely do that at the shortstop position. There's lots of ways to Fill things in Uh, Taylor Bauer asks, am I missing something when looking at Tatis and Bichette? Similar players, similar pedigrees, similar debuts, similar teams and lineup positions. One is creeping in the first round and one can be had in the late fourth. Uh, For me, I'm a huge Bichette fan, but I'm also a realist. Tatis can get you a lot more power. Uh, Bichette might get you more steals or pretty equivalent steals. I think Bichette's a better batting average asset. So it just depends on are you going to get your power elsewhere? If you're going to get your power elsewhere, I got no problem waiting on Bichette. Uh, If you look at Steamer projections, they're very similar, except uh, they have about nine more homers for Tatis. ATC projections has uh, about seven more homers and four more steals, but Bichette gets average in both of them. So I got no problem waiting for Bichette. I already kind of mentioned with Tatis. It's kind of a, for me, seems like there's a lot of volatility there. And I, I'm a big Bichette fan. Uh, the Mayberry method in baseball HQ, they compare players based on a rating system. And they have Bichette equal to Mookie Betts, which says a lot. So uh, if that's if that's accurate or even close, he's gonna outproduce his ADP quite a bit. So I'm a big fan of looking at that. But for me, they're very they are very similar players. They have the similar, you know, pedigree and all that kind of stuff. But where Tatis is at right now, what we've seen Tatis do in the big leagues. Is ahead of Bichette, so that's where I think the separation is. Obviously, people have seen uh, Tatis do it, shiny new toy. They want more of it. Um, both very good players. I'm waiting on Bichette, but I have, I could see I I can understand the gap is what I'm trying to say. What about you?
2: Yeah, I mean, when you look at just straight up valuations, um, you know, they are pretty close. Uh, twenty three dollars for Fernando Tatis and twenty one dollars for Bo Bichette. <laughs> The big difference for me and the reason why I like Tatis Jr. a lot more than Bichette is really the explosiveness, I think, both with the bat and with speed. You know, Bichette stole four bases last year um, in eight attempts, so he wasn't very good at it. Um, and he did that over more than 200 plate appearances. And so in a 600 plate appearance pace for that year, that's only 12 stolen bases. And right now he's projected, I think, by Steamer to hit 24, to get to 24 stolen bases. So, I think that's the big thing for me is really like, do I think that Bichette uh, has elite speed? And I don't really see it. I think you alluded to it, but Rob Silver had a good tweet just about, um, you know, like uh, Toronto and its stolen base prowess and how few stolen bases it, it had. And so, the combination of me not necessarily believing Bichette's speed and the fact he hasn't been that successful again, stolen base success rate is not predictive just because it's such small sample sizes but it's not like he has like uh, super elite speed and he's never done it before. And so I'm just a little bit more doubtful. He stole a lot in the minors. He did. Yeah. But there's, there's a lot of guys who steal a lot in the minors and then they get to the majors and it's just like a totally different uh, ball game for me. So that's just one reason, one way where I like I, I question the speed a little bit. Um, and so, you know, and then you look at Tatis junior and then in, in less than 400 plate appearances, he stole 16 bases. So I just think the speed level is different, both in terms of the level of aggressiveness um, that they're showing on the base paths and um, just overall speed. And I think Tatis makes a lot better contact as well. The barrel rate is 2% higher, 8.1 versus 6.1. you look at max exit exit below, like 116 for Tatis Jr. versus 108 uh, for Bichette. Bichette was super lucky based on expected batting average last year. He was 311 uh, last season, a 273 expected batting average via StatCast. And so I'm just not quite sure I buy into Bichette. Like I think mean, he's a very solid um, player all around. I'm just not necessarily sure that I buy into the fact that he has the same ceiling that Tatis does at this point in time. Um, and so for me, that's why Tatis is better. If it's a value proposition of whether I'm getting Tatis or I'm getting Bachet, I'm probably going Tatis just because I think the speed is legit and I think it will be um, really good and I'm not sure about Bichette. But, you know, again, like I think there's a lot of reasons to also see why Bachet would be better in his second year than he was in the first as he gets exposed to more pitching and so on and so forth. So I can see them why they're not that different in valuations, but I trust the steamer projection for Tatis Jr. or just the projections in general more for Tatis Jr. than I do for Bachet because I don't believe in the speed, really.
1: Well, okay, you no, we can agree to disagree on that one. We are um, going to disagree right there, Baba. Yes, we are, but I mean, I'm not going to go any farther, with it because... I don't want to be here. We're a right. peaceful podcast. Yes, but uh, Jacob Winecoop asks: is Bubba Shett someone you could see sustaining his hard hit rate and speed combo? He's looking at him late in the auction. Well, Jacob, I believe he can. I don't think Toby <laughs> does. <laughs> oh, Bubba does.
2: I don't necessarily think so. Um, I mean, the thing is, his hard hit rate is uh, decent. You know, like, if you look at his stat cast hard hit rate, I think it was like 43 and a half. Yeah, I think it was like 80, 80th out of like 478 batters or something like that. So it's definitely on the top end of things. Um, So that's a possibility. Like his hard hit rate on Fangraphs was pretty low. I think it was like 32%. Quality of contact was was solid, not spectacular. Uh, The speed, I think, is just the thing that I don't really believe in until I see it. Um, And uh, I'm willing to be wrong on that, and I probably will be wrong on that. Um, So I just think it really depends. I mean, you know, he doesn't have great plate discipline, 38% O-swing. The contact was solid for sure. So I think there's like ups and downs in the profile. And I think with the projection, we're seeing a lot of like, you know, just like for me, a lot better skills, especially around speed than I think we're going to see. And so um, I'm not really buying into Bichette necessarily. I don't have any shares yet, but you know, like Steamer's smarter than I am. I'll I'll guarantee you that. So, um, you know, do, do with it what you will. And it's a game of fun. So if you really like Bichette, uh don't be don't be uh worried to um you know to go for him. And we appreciate you also providing the uh pronunciation yes. of your last name, Jacob,
1: uh Yes, that helped out a ton. And yes, um the biggest yes, Boba Chet, I'm a big fan of him. Let's put it that way. Big fan of Boba Chet. So if you like Boba Chet, go get bobochet Um Dan Snyder, Bobachette or Jorge Polanco in an 18 team keeper league for standard five by five roto. For me, this isn't even close. Like, Boba 21 years old. I'm going to take Boba all day in an 18-team keeper league. Am I wrong there? Do you still prefer Jorge Polanco?
2: Uh, nope. I think you are right. I'm definitely uh, Boba Bichette there. I think just from, like, compared to Polanco, I'd take Bachette's speed over him. You know, I'd take Bachette's power over him. Uh, batting average, you know, maybe Polanco. But like you mentioned, I mean, Polanco's not that old. He's still pretty young. He came up young. But Bachette is 21. He's got a lot a lot of, of, of excellence um, in mm-hmm. front of him. And so I think like, even with my projections, you know, Bichette is at uh, about $21. Again, I don't necessarily buy into the speed, but I think Polanco is like a $14 player, something like that. 14, $15 player. So um, yeah, he's, a, no, he's a $13 player. So even this year, um, you know, my projections like him more. So I would definitely go with Bichette.
1: Yeah, and especially that keeper format makes it pretty easy there. Uh, I don't know his real name, but his handle is Tulsa is 7-4 and four all-time versus UConn. Um, what are you doing with Carlos Correa's steamer projection? Again, they got him at 273, 33 homers, 93 runs, 105 RBIs, three stolen bases, and 149 games, 637 at-bats, something he's done once in his career, one time. <laughs> so um, I know you hinted at it earlier. I am going to knock that down. If you, like, you use ATC's projection, that's 129 games, 562 at-bats. I think that's still generous because he's still only done that one time in his career. Um, I think you need to get closer to 500 at-bats and we can start talking. Something in a 25-homer guy, average is about the same, but county stats go down quite a bit. So I'm going to ch- – if you're talking steamers specifically, I'm almost taking 10 home runs off of that for starters, which takes his runs and RBIs down – Uh, I know you mentioned Correa as a bust earlier. What are you doing with the steamer projection?
2: Yep, I think like you, Bubba, I'm going with the ATC projection instead, and I'm not drafting him at all. That's what I'm doing with Carlos Correa. (laughs)
1: That's a short answer for you. (laughs) There we go. Uh, Bruce Carlson, Andrelton Simmons bounce back. Do we believe in Andrelton Simmons bounce back? Because at one time he was like a nice average guy, didn't like light the world on fire anywhere else. Are you a believer in an Andrelton Simmons bounce back?
2: Um, It depends what you mean by bounce back. I think the challenge with a guy like Simmons is he falls into the category for me of a Luis Arias, where it's like mm-hmm. the batting average can be really good. But when you don't provide home runs and you also don't provide speed with that, it's really hard to roster. So I can see taking a shot at him as like in like the reserve rounds as kind of a guy who can maybe boost your batting average a little bit, maybe get you some stolen bases, play a little matchups in a DC. You know, that's a nice little spot because he is going to play a ton. But, like, when you look at the projection, the 277, 13 home runs, you know, 11 stolen bases, like, that's, you know, that's that's okay, but I don't see, like, a ton of upside. I mean, the most home runs he's ever hit was the last juiced ball season, and that's, you know, he hit 14. You know, so that's really what you're looking looking at at the max right there. So he is an eight dollar and fifty player, fifty dollar player according to the projections, which ranks him about two hundredth. It makes him look like a really, really good value, but I just don't see much upside in that profile at all. And I think it's hard from a roster construction standpoint. So, you know, yes, I think he'll be better than he was last year. Um, but no, it's not really a profile that interests me a ton unless I really need batting average and speed towards the end of drafts. And then I'm drafting him in the reserve rounds because he's going after ADP of 300. Drafting, drafting him to be on my bench. And he's a guy that I'm playing like when they have really you know good matchups or for speed or, or for, you know, against poor pitchers.
1: Yeah, going to pick 340 right now. He's strictly a bench bat. He's a, a fab mover and a fill-in if you need it, it's like, say, Alberto Mondesi gets injured after two-thirds of the season. Okay, then you can use Andrew Simmons. Knock yourself out. Um, a combination, Bruce Carlson and another part of his question, Willie Adamus upside. Nathan Coleman also asked, Willie Adamas seems like one of the only Rays that will be locked in as an everyday contributor. What type of ceiling does he have and how does he get there? So, basically, like, you're a big fan of Willie Adamas. You already mentioned kind of your thoughts on him. Why don't you reiterate to Bruce and Nathan – like, what do you think the the ceiling and the upside is for Willie Adams?
2: Yeah, I mean, these these questions are so hard um, because you, we just, you know, it's hard to know what somebody's upside is because there can be changes that we just can't foresee. What I'll say is in the second half, he was much better. His contact rate increased dramatically, better plate discipline, hit the ball harder, ground ball rate decreased. So I think those are all really good signs. In that second half, he had a two seventy two seventy eight batting average with 10 home runs, um, you know, only one stolen base. I think that the lack of speed really does limit the upside for him a lot, especially at the position. But I can see a situation where he hits, you know, two seventy-five, two eighty with twenty-five home runs on the season and, you know, uh, an 80-80, you know, eighty runs, eighty RBI, depending on when he ends up in that lineup. I think the absolute best case scenario is a situation where he he hits so well that he moves up in the lineup, right? And he becomes a part of the heart of that lineup because I do think he's going to get everyday plate appearances. I don't necessarily see that happening, but I think that's his upside. But, you know, would I be that surprised if he hit, you know, 275 and 80-80 with 25 home runs? I wouldn't be that surprised. Um, so, and that's very solid to get
1: from, you know, the back end of your, of your lineup or of your draft. All right, Scotty B, um, this is kind of similar to the valuations question we had from Cody McDonald earlier, but a little more specific here. In AL-only auction format, Scotty wants to know, are you paying a premium for 4 stat players at this shortstop position because the position is so deep, or are you going targeting other positions for 4 stat players because shortstop is so deep? So basically it's the valuation question all over again.
2: Yeah. Well, and I think – You know, I'm looking at it and I mean, there's a lot of National League shortstops that are really good. So I don't know how deep it is in an AL only. I mean, compared to other positions, probably Um, I don't play AL only. So I don't play in in some of the really, um, you know, not necessarily shallow formats, but you know, the the AL only, NL only. Um, What I would just think though, is that, you know, in the shallower formats, like I would just be trying to limit risk as much as possible because in those leagues if you you know, like there's just so few stars that if you if you miss out on some of those guys, um, then they hurt you. And so I think a shortstop is a really nice target early on. I think, you know, we covered um, a handful of really good guys. Like if you can get Lindor, although you know, he could always be traded and that would be awful in an ale only, depending on how your league handles it. Um, you know, actually like you know, Lindor is AL, Bregman is AL. Um, yeah, and, and, nine,
1: and... Nine, nine of the top 15 are in the AL, 11 of the top 18 are in the AL.
2: Okay, okay. So it is AL heavy. Um, and one thing uh, that I got clarification on from Scotty B is that it, his league is uh, batting average, home runs, RBI, and stolen bases. And so, you know, with that being said, like I think if you can get a guy who can contribute in all, co- all four of those categories, then I think you got to start there, but I don't know the player pool well enough. So I'll just limit my advice to that. Um, If there are folks who, you know, I would search out some analysts that play a little bit more AL only, a little bit more NL only for a little bit better strategic advice than that. Um, But I would say is like, I would definitely be looking at valuations and who is the highest valued player and really leaning towards that if I believed in the playing time, because I think you gotta, you gotta hit with those picks and You know, whether it's shortstop or otherwise, getting really good foundation to those shallower leagues is important.
1: Yeah, like Francisco Lindor is probably worth a boatload of cash in an AL only league because of what he can do. But uh, it'll get interesting as you go elsewhere. Like Adamorto Modesty would be a nice target in there as well uh, with all the stolen bases he'll get you. But outside of that, it gets interesting for sure. Maybe it gives a little more value to like an Elvis Andrews who runs like crazy. So something to think about there as you are talking about Um, Nick in Biscardi, 17, then Alminator D Biscardi, 78. I'm guessing relation, family relation. Um, Will we get the amazing season from Trey Turner this year? Also, if it moves to the three hole, does that input output? We kind of hit on that earlier. Um, Fantasy baseball junkie also chimed in. He said after the first report of him possibly hitting third, in a draft and hold league, he went to the fifteenth pick overall, which is a steal for Trey Turner. So, like we kind of said, steals wise, maybe loses two to three, but the increase in RBIs and everything becomes just fine. Like it wouldn't bug me at all. It might increase his value as a whole. And I think we do get to this season if he stays healthy, like we talked about earlier, that the broken pinky or whatever he had, that was a big factor. I I, I like Trey Turner quite a bit this year, and I think he could have a monster season if he stays healthy and going to the third spot might make it even a bigger season. So I don't mind it at all.
2: Yeah. And I, I think the 15, him going 15 is just an outlier. I mean, when you look at the OCs, even over the last week, you know, 11 is the, is the 11 or 12 or is the max that he's gone. Um, And he's still going at an ADP of nine. So I just think that's an outlier. And yeah, there's a really good article by Jeff uh, Zimmerman I think it might be the mining the news that Jeff Zimmerman does, which everybody should be reading because it's absolutely terrific. Um, and you should all be following Jeff Jeff W. Zimmerman um, on Twitter. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, there's there's the the impact is good because of the you know the limited decrease in stolen bases and increase in RBI. So I think it's a good move.
1: Uh, Chris, and no, I apologize now, Nori- Norica. He awesome artwork. I'm going to use it on the cover tonight, so I appreciate it. Awesome stuff. Um This is he says. Which shortstop do you like in a typical points league, Danby Swanson or Tatis Jr.? I'm pretty sure you got to go with Tatis Jr. in that one. What about you? Um. Yeah, I think in a in a typical
2: points league. I mean, I don't play points leagues, although I did sign up. You'll be really proud of me, or I don't know if you'll be really proud of me or not. Um, but I <laughs> I signed up for a points league. Um, I was about, I'm about to say, do, you signed up for another league? I'm going to do, <laughs> do, do Raz Slam. I don't know if you've heard of Raz Slam. Oh, you're joining Slam.
1: us. Sweet. Yeah, I'm
2: going to join. I'm going to join. It's like a cut line thing. Well, because I really wanted, yeah. I do want to diversify and I focus so much on Roto and I really want to be good in that. But I also need to have a better understanding of other formats to provide as good of uh, analysis as possible. And so I think um, uh, with a points league, I mean, one of the things that I would suggest, I won't answer the question specifically, but I think with points leagues, what I would highly suggest Is create is taking projections, creating a spreadsheet, and and you can literally calculate how many points each player is projected to get in your league Um, with a fairly simple Excel spreadsheet. Just take the projections, like upload them into Excel, and then you know figure out what point value is for each of the categories, and then it should be able to spit out what the projected point total is. If I was drafting in a points league, and this is what I'm going to do in the in the in the, um, in the Raz slam, you know, I'll do something similar to this because I think there's other, there's obviously a lot more strategy that goes into it in terms of consistency because there's cuts in different points, but like is really just thinking about like, who's going to get me the most points putting in the projections. And unless I disagree with the projections, like, you know, those are going to be the guys that I draft. And so that's what I would suggest doing is really just spend the couple hours that it takes to create an Excel spreadsheet, depending on the level of skill you have and really compute, like, what is the projected point total that this projection means in my points league, and then use that, you know, for all of the players as a guide for your drafting is what I would say. And then Dan's response versus versus Tatis Jr. Yeah. I mean, I think Tatis Jr. You know, obviously the strikeout rate is higher, but um, you know, the power is going to be higher. The counting stats are going to be higher. Deals are going to be slightly higher, but it's certainly a much closer, um, you know, scenario than it, than it would be in other league formats.
1: Uh, Boston Moe, who is my co-host on the Around the Basis pod. Uh, thoughts on Dansby Swanson. Great first half with 17 homers, but second half was awful due to heel injury. Decent batted ball profile and going around picks 230 or 253. Batting eighth is a downside of the Braves lineup, but uh, not bad for the price. You, you talked about how you like Dansby. I agree. Dansby's a very solid value uh, we'd like him to get higher in the order. I don't see him batting an eighth all year. I really find that hard to believe. Um, I think he could be sneaky nice. We want to talk more on uh, Dansby?
2: Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, roster resource has him batting eighth, but, you know, they it, we still have spring training to go. Like I, as I mentioned before, as we were talking, there's been some major improvements in his game uh, and they were a little bit um, hidden because he was injured second half. And so, uh, there's a buying opportunity there. And if he moves up into the fifth spot or the sixth spot, there's an opportunity at least for a ton of RBI because I'm not a huge Travis Darno fan just because of, you know, Johan Camargo should much more be batting eighth than Dansby Swanson will. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Swanson's a really nice value where he's going right now. Uh,
1: good old Barry Baker. Uh, Brendan, and Barry loves his prospects. So, um, Brendan Rodgers, over under 200 at-bats this season. Oh, if we only knew what the Rockies would do with youth, you'd probably have to take the under just because he's a young player. But um I'm gonna take the under because you're assuming they don't trade Arenado. You got Hampson, you got um McCann. I'm gonna take the under. I wish it was the over though. I'm taking the under. Yeah, I agree
2: with you. I would take the under. Um and I'm also just not quite sure how good Rogers is gonna be. Um I don't know. I don't have any additional information than other people have, but he just strikes me as a guy who's just kind of stagnated a lot. He wasn't very good in his very brief appearance with the Rockies. The projection systems don't really like him, you know, a ton. You know, they don't see him as being a particularly special uh, player. So I don't know, Um, you know, your guess is as good as mine, but I would go with the under just because I think even if Arenado is traded, you know, Hampson at second base uh mcMahon at uh third base you know is a is a pretty clear option there, so that would be my that would be my guess
1: yeah, i just don't know where it's gonna happen for him unfortunately and the last question of the night north shore havoc Corey Seeger how much value uh how much is value there given the depth of the position and the injury history he's currently going at this uh nineteenth shortstop pick one sixty five uh the projection systems giving him twenty four homers 84 runs, 85 – or 85 runs, 84 RBIs by Steamer, 278 average in um, 147 games, ATC 132 games. I'd probably agree with ATC a little more because I just don't trust Seager in his health ever, and I just don't own Seager because I don't want to deal with it. That's just always been me. Maybe there is value because we know how good he can be as the 19th source about of the board going ahead of Kevin Newman. Maybe there is value there. It's just a headache I don't want to deal with it at that point in the draft. Uh, What are your thoughts on Corey Seager?
2: Yeah, I'm not really interested in Seager. I just don't see anything special about the profile at all. Like batting average is the place where he has a little bit of upside, but he's never really shown really strong power. He's never really shown speed. Um, And, you know, and like 165 is obviously really late, but look at some of the guys that are going like, you know, around him. Like um, Kyle Hendricks as a pitcher is right around there. Uh, you have Lorenzo Cain going right around there, um, Ryan McMahon going around there. So, you know, like I could see taking him if, you, if you're if you just waiting on shortstops, but it's just ne- – there's nothing special in the profile. Just don't see like – take Edwin Encarnacion as your first baseman. You know, take Justin Turner at third base. Um, there's just so many other places that I'd rather go. I mean, I'd rather have Paul DeYoung probably – um, than Corey Seager because I think there's uh, there's a lot of upside there. So, Brian Reynolds at outfield. Like, there's just a lot of Alvisel Garcia's outfield. There's a lot of guys that I'd rather have that I think have both higher ceilings um, and pretty decent floors than I would want to go after Seager.
1: Yeah, and even at the same pick point, Corey Polanco's going the same exact pick as Seager. Totally. I'll take Polanco all day long. So, uh, very, very interesting stuff there with Toby. That wraps up the shortstop preview. Any final thoughts on the position?
2: Uh, no. I mean, I just think, you know, shortstop is deep, but it gets shallower quickly. And I think it's the depth of it and the flexibility of the different profiles that are at that position provide you with a really unique opportunity from a roster construction standpoint. And so just be thinking about those things as you enter drafts. Um, and you know, getting one of those top shortstops is really, really nice. Cause there are some really, really good ones. And as always, just to really appreciate everybody listening. I know these things are going long, but we've been getting really good feedback. And so hopefully people don't mind the length of them, um, and are getting some value out of them. So thank you so much for listening.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. I echo what he said about the uh, shortstop position, no, everything, but the shortstop position, it. It's deep, but the talent level drops off, like you said, after, you know, it's 10 guys go in the top three rounds, then it kind of gets interesting after that. There's still good players there, but it's hit and miss and certain values and other spots. And at that point in the draft, you need to go elsewhere. So if you can get one of those top guys, that's outstanding. You don't have to. Like there's other options for sure. Not a must, but uh, I'd prefer it almost the way Toby prefers getting pitching early. I almost want one of the big shortstops early. That's kind of where I sit on this one. Um, But it's it's a fun position. It's going to be interesting to see how it goes throughout the year because last year we said how deep it was and didn't disappoint. So we'll see if it continues this year. And, again, like Toby said, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, Hope you guys are getting a lot out of this. Keep the questions coming. we got third base next week, which is a fun one because – it's a pretty top-heavy position also. So it'll be interesting to see where that drop-off is and what kind of values we can find there. But that'll be next Monday for now. This was Bubba and the Batflip episode 21, your shortstop preview. Toby's on Twitter, at BatFlipCrazy. I am at BDEntrick. You guys have a good time. Keep prepping, and we'll catch you guys later.